Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Tonight, we're going to do a writer's table. We're going to talk about um, uh, writing issues, and there's a whole bunch of questions in um, the chat, and we're going to get started. And uh, I'm going to say hello to Sasha. Hello, Sasha. And Freya. Freya the cat listens to my podcast, so I'm going to say hello to Freya um, and Max and Alex. Y'all be good. If your mom is not home (laughs) and you're listening to this. (laughs) Okay. So um, where's the, where where is that? The first question I'm going to scroll all the way up because I had some questions that were a little bit older. Um, I feel like we did a whole podcast on this once, but I don't remember. I mean, it's been, it, it's been a while. So Chestnut Nola writes. Um, plotting and estimating um, links question. When you talk about your zero draft and counting 90 plot points to estimate word count, what are you identifying as a plot point? The big picture plot points, the details, both external and internal plot points. I just realized in the story I planned is probably going to be longer than intended. Thanks. Well, for me personally, I'm a mixture. When I am, my zero draft is a mixture of events. Um, consequences internal and external motivations throughout so my so that's why mine is a zero draft and not an outline an outline is normally just a list of events this this and this this and this happened um that that's an outline but when you're zero drafting um you put a whole bunch of there's there's a lot more detail to it um now for me the 90 plot point is re- is recently working out to be about 115 to 120 k. Mm-hmm. That's what's true for um, both Unleash Your Demons and All the World and my Quantum Bank for this year. So if I want to hit 100 k ish, then I need about 90 plot points, and my plot points, like I said, are a mixture of all of that. <clears throat> And sometimes a plot point will be a whole damn chapter. And sometimes it will be like just something I need in the scene. So my zero draft is a mixture of uh, plot, subplot, uh, consequences, GMC across the board. Um, and that's just something that I've developed over the years. Because when I was young, I was someone who would... Uh, I'll just do an outline. So I went and I did an outline. And the the last, well, actually the last um, one I can remember successfully completing and doing an outline for was Restoration, which was my King Arthur, Harry Potter combo fic. Mm-hmm. And, excuse me, I am trying to save my dinner from a cat. Get away <laughs> from me. Relatable. It's, it's the chicken soup. Off. Okay. So the um, story itself, uh, Restoration, is um, just over 49,000 words. And I don't remember how many chapters I actually got into that damn thing. Well, actually, it was the three-parter. So I only put three chapters in. Apparently, I didn't break this thing up enough. Whatever. (laughs) Nope. Nope. Wait a second. I forgot. That's because I was only looking at chunks. I forgot. I didn't. I did this thing wrong. 
at least the well, I mean, it sounds like you actually did a, a three arc structure. Well, no, actually, what it is is, um, I know I did more chapters. The issue, there it is. Uh, when I put it on my site, I put it up in three different bits, but I didn't, since I don't have the three different bits listed on, um, I see. I see. On the thing, I actually have to scroll down through each and every single one of these bloody things. I'm pretty sure it's 10 chapters. And I have 10 bullet points on my outline for each and of these. And that, 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 is gen that is genuinely an outline. Yeah. It really um, is. Versus, you know, I mean, for me, 50K, I think Finding Atlantis came in around 50K, right? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't have a copy of it. I don't think. Didn't you do my beta for that? Or is that one I didn't oh, do a beta no. on? Wait a second. I don't know. I don't think you did. That's the one I was mis. I was misremembering. That's the one with uh, Sebastian. Finding Atlantis is seventy-two k. So okay. Um, let me look at my my zero draft. So. I did uh I did a three arc structure for uh the story and each arc has twenty plot points. Okay. So I'm just gonna drop into chat real quick, part one and two, basically chapters one and two, um that I did for restoration. And if you've read the story, you can probably figure out where this these bits came from. And those were legitimately the plot points. Yeah. <laughs> you hurt my feelings so much right now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm so I'm like, what girl? <laughs> Wait, I have to give, I have to give you <laughs> Okay. Those are your okay, look. <laughs> this is the difference. Okay, these are my first three of plot points for uh, finding Atlantis. Ellie, those are my plot points. I mean, her process is her process. And I'm not trying to shame her process. And honestly, she's much more of a pantser than she is a plotter. Um, I just, I'm not sure I needed that glimpse into your world. <laughs> just, just, it doesn't get any better. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i mean your process is your process and sometimes like sometimes a, a plot point will throw you for a loop right you think it's going to be a scene it turns into two chapters i'm looking at you court scene <laughs> like how'd that happen Okay, so Erte comments that she's the cook that looks like they're willy-nilly throwing things in, and Kira's the one working from well-worn note, note cards. What's really horrific is Erte, that's how I cook. I'm the person who sits there, looks in your refrigerator, pulls out um, shit that you don't think goes together, and makes a meal, and it's really good. Uh, oh. It's it's so it's it's so hurtful right now over here. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, my, so you my know, husband hates me for it. But that's the thing. 
what I think what's important, what to take away from this is that you need to find what works for you. Um, and learning to uh, estimate your word count based on your plot points it, it depends on a lot of things. Like, what are you writing? Because there is a there's a big difference in, say, um, a fantasy novel versus a science fiction novel versus a contemporary romance. If I had 90 plot points for a contemporary romance with no outside elements... 55 50 60k maybe i mean but if, if i have a big si like on um my sci-fi novella series that i'm that i'm mm -hmm. working on zenova um i keep wanting to say zenovia and that's because of stupid princess bride and you know honestly if if if, if anne hathaway wants to do space opera hook, girl i'm here <laughs> <laughs> She'd make a great space okay. princess. Zenova. Um, hang on. I'm going to put my chicken soup away from the cat. So hang on just a moment for okay. me. So um, I am about, let's see, I have 32 plot points for my first novella. And I am at 24K and I have written, where's my damn draft? Uh, 26 plot points. Now I'm actually I've paused because I'm gonna do some replotting because I think I, I was rushing it a little because I wanted to meet a certain word count, but it, that word count isn't serving my story, and that's also something to keep in mind. It's like when you plan for something and you say, "Okay, I'm going to write this, and I want it to be 25k." That's my goal. Um, and when you write professionally, that that's something you have to do. Like you know, sometimes you'll encounter like you will get invited into, you know, to, to write in an anthology that happened to me once. And they were like, okay, can you give us a novel, a, a novella that's about 20 K um, with this, with the, like with these elements, because it was a themed anthology. Um, and my agent was like, they're going to give you money. <laughs> I'm like, how much money? <laughs> because this yes, seems like it a does little... talk. A little taxing, you know, because mm -hmm. you might have noticed, y'all, I'm a little wordy. <laughs> you actually, okay, so having, I, having, I'm working honestly, on my word economics, but it's a bit, but back then I was like 29 or 30, my word economics were not on point. Okay, I get that. I wrote 30K. And had to hack, if I remember you saying this right. Yes, and then I had to take 10K out. And it was just like... Every single one of those words was probably a struggle. It was so painful. It was so painful. So I sent my agent both copies, and I was like, okay, here's the 20K, but here's the 30K. The 30K is better. <laughs> and she wrote, she read them both, and she wrote back, and she said, you're right. The 30K is better, but they're going to want the 20. And they did. And they also gave me $1,000 up front. So I'm, I, you know, okay. <laughs> Take it and, and, you know, be happy with it. Did you get your rights back eventually? Um, no, that particular anthology is still an ebook. Well, not budget. I mean, I get a little, a little money every, every now and then. Well, that's not bad. Also, I, I think gonna... it's in, um, it's been translated into um, German and I want to say sp Spanish. Huh. Okay. So, yeah. 
I have a lot of foreign language titles actually um, in my other professional name that I don't mm -hmm. talk about. Right. Um, but yeah, so estimating your word count and having word economics in, uh, when you're writing in the professional arena can be, um, it is definitely a skill you need to master. But part of mastering that is mastering your own process and figuring out what these plot points mean to you in mm -hmm. your rough draft. Like, okay, I have these four plot points. I think I can tell this in 5K. And the best way to do this, but the best way to figure out, you know, what your what your natural rhythm is, is to break it down when you're writing and just keep the word count in the margin of your document. Print it out and write on it so that you know where you are and say, okay, th this scene took me, you know, 2,100 words. And this is actually not something that I would recommend that you do if you're on deadline, but just as an exercise into your own process, maybe after the fact, go through your zero draft and see how long it took you to write a trial scene. You know, how long, how many words okay, did you need for this are, sex are, scene? Wait a second. Trial scenes are their own per, uh, version of insanity because I don't know of anybody who can say they walked into the court, they sat down, they did their thing. Everything was great. The, um, you know, they won their case and walked out and you're at 500 words. There is just well, no, no but I think it's important to know how long it's going to take you. Point. You know, how many words are you going to invest into this scene and how many words do you actually need? Because I sometimes encounter um, trial scenes and, you know, confrontation scenes and um, come to Jesus scenes. They're, they're all the same rhythm there there's justice being served people are getting what they you know what you know getting it you know and sometimes i think writers really let their id go in these circumstances because i don't need to know what everybody's wearing well this is true i mean you don't I, the visual stuff can be, can be left behind and so but knowing knowing yourself that's how you figure out what your word count is. Um, and go back through your old work and see how long it took you, how many words it took you to write a sex scene. How many words did you need for this come to Jesus moment? Um, how many words did you need to have Tony throw a stapler across the book? Please don't have Tony throw his stapler. It's, it's so immature. <laughs> Please don't. You know, you said Tony, and I was thinking, why would Tony throw a stapler? He's got repulsors. What? <laughs> Oh, NCIS. I don't mean to pick on you. I really don't. Too late. <laughs> um, but yeah, so just knowing yourself as a writer is, is how you're going to learn to estimate your word count so that when you go into a, um, a challenge like April, when our minimum word count is 30K, you're going to go in knowing how much you need for the project. And so my... <laughs> you're the sentinel just so you're aware if i use the same type of a outline for 30k i need about six points oh honey kind of like it yeah <laughs> so my 30 so i actually have 32 plot points for um eye of the tiger which is my um project for april i expect it to be somewhere in the range of 50k my minimum is 30 I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna hit thirty, but um I expect fifty ish. I have the first scene plotted out in my head, and then after that everything is gone. 
Ish, yeah. Heavy on the ish. Ish. But for me, always, always the most challenging partner of trade is is the short story challenge in in um in July, which is why I set it up that way. Um, originally was to kind of you know challenge myself, um, because I can run a hundred k all day long, not all day. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, you can write 100K in less than a month and then send me something in my email going, oh, LH, can you do something for me, please? Would would you look at this? Would you tell me if it sucks? (laughs) Where did this come from? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) And that's what happened with Birth of the Serpent King. Yes. Speaking of, uh, not Birth of the Serpent King, but War Mages, I actually opened up the second book today and and worked on it a little bit. I love you so much. (sighs) <laughs> I have not broken anything. I but but my feet do hurt because I forgot to take my gabapentin yesterday. Anyways, <laughs> it is a red letter day in the house of cowboy. <laughs> um, yeah, it's yeah. So I I I opened it up and um I read through some chapters and I'm like I got kind of excited about it. So the the issue I've been having is I've actually been avoiding um, Stargate. And, you know, all the associated stuff to, to reread in the, in basically the last month, because if I, if I read it, I'll, I'll get sucked in and, you know, my, my brain will hook on to, I've got to tell the story. So I haven't been reading it. So I've been rereading everything else that is not Stargate, which basically means I've been wandering through all of your Harry Potter stuff. The longer, the better. So... Good times. Teen Wolf to avoid Mag 7. I honestly think they're related, but whatever. <laughs> when I set aside the second book in Warm Ages, it was because I'd had that terrible experience in the chat room. Mm-hmm. I remember. <sighs> and right. so I set aside all my slash projects. I had no choice because um, I had yeah, a participant so in out. the chat room make me physically ill over an um, animated GIF. Um, and it involved... I, it doesn't matter what it involved because I don't want to go it there again mentally. And it really, it really messed me up. Mm-hmm. Didn't do I anything mean, for me either. It was, it was horrific. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I actually, that's the first and only person I've ever banned from my chat room. And they're not welcome on my server now to this day. I don't want any part of them. I just, because they, I mean, I could not write, a 30 day I could ban not write slash or any kind of anal sex mm-hmm. for a year. Yeah, because they shared it twice. Yeah. The thing is, is I am, I think out of all of us, the least reactionary about just about everything. I agree. And I, fuck off. (laughs) It was like, (laughs) what the actual fuck? What? (laughs) What? It was, it was... Anyway, so that's what that's why I set aside a lot of my slash projects. I could not work mm-hmm. on them because I was so f- yeah. There, and there so I didn't I mean and War Mages was on my plate at the time. So mm-hmm. it got put aside and I, I I never picked it back up. Um but then I kind of, you know, I kind of worked my way back into writing slash and so I picked so I picked War, War Mages up this week. So I'm I'm refraining from hitting dolphin levels because you know that's just rude, but damn. Yeah, Willow, you you lugged out that day, leaving chat before it happened. Mm-hmm. It was it was a it was a dark time. <laughs> it was a very dark dark time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. okay. 
Let me get over to this and delete that question. And then we'll move on to the next question. Ames asks, how do you go beyond smut and what plot to having romance with a plot? Um, I'm a romance writer. So writing strictly erotica is actually uh, more difficult for me than, than writing a romance. Um, I think that in order to build um, romance, you have to have, uh, you have to know your characters really well. You need to, you need to dig into your GMC um, and know what they want and know what they don't want and know what stands in their way. Uh, you need to build uh, trust and intimacy between your characters. And I don't mean just sex. I mean like intimacy. Uh, it feels really artificial when somebody goes from, hi, how are you? My name is blank to let me rock your world to, Ooh, I love you. There's got to be something in more in there than just what I just verbalized because there, you know, I'm sorry. It's that dreaded F word feelings. Yeah. <laughs> Feelings, caught some feels, <laughs> caught some yeah. feelings. Yeah, you caught some feels, but you know, there, there's, there's saying, "Ooh, you, I, you caused me to feel," and you know, I can't live without you. Or <laughs> so I good. think one of the most romantic fics on my site is courting Hermione Granger. It is. There's no sex in it. Not um, a drop. Uh, and, I, and I wrote a terrible sex scene. I mean, uh, you know, actually, you know, as a writer, uh, you, you you learn what you're good at and what you're not good at. And um, I pride myself on writing some really fantastic sex scenes. And so I wrote this terrible, terrible, awkward, juvenile sex scene. And I was like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> what is wrong with this? This is terrible. And, you know, I thought maybe it wasn't that bad. So recently I opened it up. It was looked that bad. at it. It was that bad. I mean, it was just because it didn't fit. And I was trying to shoehorn it in to um, a fic that where it did not belong. Courting Hermione Granger um, reminds me of the really, I want to say the innocent romances that we, we would have read, um, you know, where we know stuff happened, obviously stuff happened, but we never saw it. All we saw was the two characters learning to love and care for each other on screen. And then everything faded to black, you know, and you know, stuff happened, but you never saw it. And it was that type of a, a thing. And that was how you, you put that out, how you finally finished it was utterly appropriate. I didn't, I don't feel like it's lacking anything because it doesn't No, I mean, it's my, it. you know, it's my word, baby. I, I really, it's totally um, a word, baby. Yeah. Um, and I think that probably another deeply romantic but erotic fic on my site would pro would be the air of the angels breathe. Um, if I remember right. There's uh there's a lot of trust and John's really open to um his feelings and what he wants. Um and when he makes a move, he makes a move. <laughs> you know, I want mm -hmm. this. <laughs> Come give me this because I deserve it <laughs> more than anybody else. You know, he's, yeah. he's very confident in the fact that he, um, 
that he wants this relationship with Rodney and um, that he deserves it, you know, that he deserves that attention. And, um, and so, th and that's part of it, knowing what your characters want, knowing where they come from and where they're going to go, what their motivations are, uh, what, what their goals are. And you shape those with your character profiles. Uh, if you do character profiles. And if you don't, I don't know how you shape those. <laughs> Lady Holder, do you do character profiles? <laughs> really. I'm afraid to ask. I'm afraid to see a character profile if you actually make one. Having seen your plot document, excuse me, your outline, I <laughs> don't know if I want to see. Uh, what did I do for this? I'm character profile. the restoration I, one again. I don't remember if I did one for those, for those two. Um... Yeah, I didn't think you did. Nope. On the other hand, I did. I kept pretty consistently to what I wanted out of them. So, you know, it worked out. And I think that creating an honest dialogue with your characters is really important. Something that um, I try to mirror in my real life. Where I, <laughs> you know, just to be honest about, you know, actually, I really, really wish you would never do that ever again. <laughs> Just what you did right then. I just don't ever do it again. <laughs> you know, and being Which honest with your partner um, about what you like and what you want and what you expect um, it brings a level of maturity and intimacy to your relationship. And so mirroring that in my characters is is something that's pretty much second nature to me. The crazy thing is, is the husband and I actually talk much better over the phone some days than we do face to face. And that comes about because for years at a time, we were separated, not mm -hmm. because we wanted to be, but because employment um, being what it was, himself was out of the state and I was home. So to keep meritable and in meritable intimacy alive, you know, the emotional exchange, we had to talk over the phone. And so in some ways, it's easier still to do that over the phone. Than it is face to face. So do you ever go out and get in your car in the garage and call him? <laughs> no, but I've done it a lot when I'm the only person in the car. And um, <laughs> so, hold on, we need, to, we need to have a talk. I'll be right back. I'll, I'll be no in the sure. garage. I, trust me, it's been tempting. Um, on the other hand, I have also, you know, himself has called me or I've called him. And I've complete, uh, managed to completely gross out my passengers because of how I greet my husband. Because, you know that fic I did where um, it was Dinozo um, greeting uh, Steve over the phone and he called him his boo? <laughs> my favorite part of that scene is when Gibbs repeated it. <laughs> that is the best thing ever ever oh my god because <laughs> i can actually see i could visually see mark Harmon delivering that line and it was just like <laughs> it was so fucking funny oh my god yes but see the thing is is that conversation is in a lot of ways what the husband and i have those terms of endearment are what the husband and i use <laughs> You know, in right. my house, often motherfucker is is, is a that term too. of endearment. <laughs> no, not gonna lie. You know, it's it it definitely shows up in my house too. But 
you know, it's, it's one of those where, you know, my darling, my joy, my most precious and wondrous husband, how may I make your day better? In which case he normally looks at me and goes, the fuck did you do? What do you want? And where's my wife? <laughs> <laughs> Sarcasm is totally the sixth love language. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, having a, uh, but you know, actually, that's actually really important. Relationship dynamics are, you know, me and my husband um, are really sarcastic assholes, right? Um, and no. sometimes, yeah, sometimes we'll be having what, what I, the first time it happened in front of my sister, she thought, she thought we were arguing. We, we were just, oh, yeah. we were just talking. We were just having a little conversation. And she was like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I was like, what? And she's like, you guys are fighting in my house. And I said, we're not fighting. Babe, are we fighting? No. <laughs> yes. So, you know, those dynamics, you know, me and my, you should be able to have a conversation with your partner without speaking a word. Done that before. The first time I did that, you know, my darling, my, my dearest, my most wondrous and sweet, sweetest husband type thing. First time I did that in front of my dad. Um, my dad looked at us and he looked over at my husband and goes, is she okay? <laughs> did you, did you break her or something? You know, <laughs> because this wasn't something that my family did. Okay. It's something that developed between the two of us. Now I, I'm not going to lie. My mom actually turned around and did it to my dad. <laughs> Okay. It's and contagious. It is. And my dad looks so creeped out. <laughs> because it's it, that's not natural to my family. Okay. Sometimes I I um uh I told my husband once I was like um we were talking and I said I love you to itty bitty bitty pieces. I just was like it. Are you threatening me? <laughs> I've I've used the word gobbets before and he looks at me and it's like gobbets. It's like, yeah. He says those are squishy. I said, oh, only if you don't do it right, but yeah, gobbets. <laughs> I love you down to your strings. <laughs> and yes. once memorably, I love the stardust <laughs> you're made of. <laughs> but knowing um having your characters have these kinds of intimate dialogues and um, these, um, these, uh, this small in-group dynamic between them where they can have a conversation with a word or no words at all is um, super important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I'm re I, I, I was scanning through that story and I just forgot exactly how horrifying it was to write that and how much fun I had because I giggled the entire time I was writing it out. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to amuse yourself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, dark. It is one of the most romantic lines ever. <clears throat> Hey, just having somebody willing to commit homicide for you is romantic as fuck. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> for a certain uh, level kind of romance. Of. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know if I would consider it totally romantic, but I'm pretty sure Will would, and I'm very certain that that Rodney, Rodney did. <laughs> Rodney has issues. <laughs> Peter Hale would love it, yeah. For Hannibal, it would be a proposal, and for Thorin Oakenshield, it would be a declaration of of, of a lifelong love. <laughs> it well, just depends did, on the character, right? You did have Bella shoot the 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 um. Pale orc, yeah. The pale orc in the know. head, yeah. That's in the shield maiden of Erebor, mm -hmm. which I adore. Um, I'm pretty sure that most of my Dracos would be very happy with with having, um, you know, bits and pieces of their enemies scattered across the planet. That you know that that scene in 300 where he turns and looks at her for approval before he kicks that dude off into the well. It's just like, okay. <laughs> and he's like, she's like, yep. <laughs> Kill that motherfucker. I mean, it's great. It's fantastic. It makes all the sense in the world to me. She's going to have to clean up the, the mess after he takes care of things. Um, but just having, um, just having those lang that, that language, um, but, um, between your characters is important. So just keep that in mind when you're, when you're building the relationship that, um, um, that there are some things that just are not romantic. Oh God. Uh, cheating. Isn't romantic. Not a drop. Uh, not honoring somebody's boundaries. Isn't romantic. Uh, Stalking somebody isn't romantic. Now, wait a second. I will say this. You wrote a very interesting first-person stalkerish Rodney. It wasn't romantic at all. No. But John didn't seem to mind. No, because John was leading him on. John wanted him to follow him. That was like Fair. a, come get me. But I would not say that that particular story, which is called I Spy, is at all romantic. No. It's um, it's erotic, sex. certainly. Mm -hmm. um, and it is a, a characterization of McKay that I've actually gotten flack for. People were like, oh my God, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I was like, you know, this is actually what McKay is. He's an asshole. Mm -hmm. Yes. To put it mildly. But stalking, like... Is, is not attractive. Okay. It is not romantic. It is not sexy. Um, having one partner tell the other uh, what they want and refusing to acknowledge the words that are coming out of their partner's mouth is deeply unattractive. Uh, playing those games where you have like, you're trying to make a, a like those jealousy games. When I see that in a fic, I close it. I'm done. I don't want any part of it. Where you have one character purposely making their the object of their desire jealous by using another person. By flirting with somebody else or having sex with somebody else. Um, with the sole purpose of making their intended jealous. It's disgusting. It's not romantic. And so... Yeah, I don't understand the you know, misunderstanding fic or the jealousy fic or the, you know, stalk them until they finally give in fic or ugh. Ugh. 
Uh-huh. I think I looked at it and then um, it was, I rarely if ever buy an actual paper book anymore. And so I was looking at it and it's about the time I think um, Kira and Jilly, you both had issues with it. And I kind of went, nope, as soon as I found out about it. Jilly wasn't around when um, I had my fuck up on the podcast about the Fifty Shades of Grey. But we don't talk about that book because I can't be trusted. No. Let's go find a new question. (laughs) I can't. Okay. You talked about friends to lovers, but what is the general way of approaching crushes to romance without it getting creepy? Crushes that crushes can get really creepy and you're right a crush can get really creepy if you have your character you know like monitoring this person and and watching everything they do because contrary to popular belief hello 80s i'm talking to you every breath you take is not a romance song oh it's actually creepy as fuck Uh (laughs) uh-huh yeah thanks for getting that one stuck in my head Okay, boomers, all y'all who danced to that at your wedding, you should be ashamed of yourself. The hell did I dance to at my wedding? I don't remember. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, honey, no. Come on. <laughs> no, I don't. I remember when I danced with my dad, and I remembered what we walked into the the place in or with playing because himself was ad- utterly thrilled that the uh, the DJ found it, which was the Voyager theme. Um, yes, I know, nerd. Um, and we, dad and I danced to daddy's hands, which still makes me cry. And I avoid the song to this day. Um, oh, I do know. And it's a Garth Brooks song. And I can't remember the name of it, but I know which one it is. The dance? No. Um, I'm just trying to he he doesn't have many ballads, so um <laughs> it better not have been the thunder rolls. Fuck no. Or friends in low places. <laughs> no. Um and okay. It's off of the album Sevens and it's You Move Me. Oh, okay. That's not bad. No. Um it's actually a beautiful song. Which, for the life of me, I actually can't find on anything other than, I don't know if this is actually it or not, or if it's a cover. Whatever. I like Friends in Low Places, too. I like Friends in Low Places, too, but I don't think it'd be a good first dance song. (laughs) Found it. Oh, copy, paste. Ignore the the, whatever they put on there for the the video portion of it, but that's the actual song. Oh my God. Yeah. Sam, my, my ex fiance got in touch with me a couple years ago and I kind of looked at it and freaked right the hell out. (laughs) Senna, what we played at the reception after the first hour, when everybody, after everybody was tipsy and the shoes came off was actually YMCA. And then we followed it up by In the Navy. Of course you did. Of course we did. (laughs) Now, what really makes this funny is... (laughs) They were both in the Navy. Yes, we were. (laughs) 
<laughs> so to show you how big of an asshole my family is, my brother-in-law is a Marine, the guy who married my sister. No, we didn't do nutbrush bush. Um, although um, we did do the chicken dance, um, which actually people successfully completed. I don't get it because I can't. <laughs> but my brother-in-law is a Marine. And at the time he and my sister got married, he was active duty, had just gotten in, looked about 12 years old in his uniform, complete, yeah, ooh yeah, Marine. So what did we do? We played in the Navy <laughs> at the wedding reception <laughs> because we're assholes. Well, you were in the Navy, so that's okay, because that's like, that was your I wasn't shit. in the Navy at the time. So? so? <laughs> you he were? was? I, he wasn't, I wasn't, um, well, this was at my brother, my sister and my brother-in-law's wedding. They got married years before we did. Oh, oh. And he was active duty Marine. Well, and you know, I think, I think that some things are just like, you know, like commonplace at, uh, at a wedding. Yes. Well, you know, that's, we're just. If you want to get a whole bunch of white people to dance, put on YMCA. <laughs> we had pictures. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> we have pictures of everybody. Or the electric slide. You want to get everybody on the dance floor? Electric slide. We did that one too. Even your grandma would be out there doing that. <laughs> Actually, no. We we couldn't get her out on the floor because I think we were slipping her boozy punch at the time. And she hadn't figured out that we were doing it. Because my sister... Um, for her wedding, it was about two weeks before the wedding. My brother-in-law called up and said, you want to get married? And my sister said, sure. Then she came out in the living room and said, mom, promise not to be mad. <laughs> I'm like, nope. <laughs> That's always a no from me. That's yeah. a no from me, dog. <laughs> yes. that. Yeah. And um, Thankfully, my mom had basically planned everything. The church that um, my sister got married in had all of their Christmas decorations up because my sister got married two days before Christmas. Well, I bet it was pretty. It was gorgeous. <laughs> it was fabulous. Very Christmassy. So, very Christmassy. And so, you know, the Lots whole of baby Jesuses. Actually, no. It was a lot of, of holly and red and, and green. And, you know, it was, it was nice. Very little on the baby Jesus thing. Oh. So I either that or they just picked him up and moved him out, but I don't care. Um, <laughs> baby, baby worked. Jesus was too young for that. Very. <laughs> so it, wedding. it worked out, and then there was some whispering of people starting to count on their fingers, and it's like, no, dude. Oh, you're so rude. <laughs> they were the rude motherfuckers, and my mom's going, no, there's not no. any of that. You know, and my sister's in this this gown that is absolutely flat in the front. There's no way to hide the fact that she'd have pooched out immediately if she'd been pregnant. So no way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was a uh, that was a really interesting, quick thing that happened. But um, managed to get everything done. And no, I there's no marine song. <laughs> Okay, back to the question about crushes. I think that how you keep it from not being creepy is um, like a forthright conversation. Um, if you have your character like skulking around and stalking the other character and not and not um, being upfront and honest about their intentions, uh, that's when it gets creepy. 
you know, having someone stare in somebody's window. Creepy, Derek Hale. Very <laughs> creepy. <laughs> Actually, it wasn't Derek Hale that I was remembering. It's the guy with the boombox over his head. Oh, oh uh, say anything. Yeah. Yeah, in, in the 80s, everybody thought, everybody thought that was great. No, it was not. It taught a whole generation really shitty habits. But then there was also Pretty in Pink, where Ugh. people got bent because, I mean, like in like in the testing audience, they wanted her to get with the nice guy. Yeah. Her friend. You know, actually, Pretty Woman um, is a very interesting movie because it speaks to body autonomy. Um, it speaks to sex work and um, it really outlines why it's, I, I think it's super important that sex work not only be legal, but it be like, you know, regulated and stuff. But also he, um, he respected her boundaries in Pretty Woman and yes, he, he, he honored their agreement. Mm-hmm. And when he asked for more, she was like, this is what I need. And he was like, I, I don't think I can do that. But then he changed his mind and was like, yeah, I can, I can totally do that. I'll, I'll come outside this fucking building, even though I'm afraid of heights mm -hmm. to, to prove to you that, I, that I'm really, I'm ready to go there. You know? And so I don't think pretty woman is actually a really good example of things that go wrong because it speaks to body autonomy. Um, it also speaks to the fact that he believed her when his friends assaulted her. Right. There was no question. No. And I really like that he respected her boundaries. It's like she's okay, this is this is this is what we can do, this is what you can have, um, and this is what you can't have. And he was never forceful about it. I mean, even when he wanted to kiss her so desperately, and he did kind of lean in to try, when she turned her head, he didn't force it. Mm -hmm. So Pretty Woman is actually, I think, a really good example, even today by today's standards, of um, you know consent and body autonomy and setting boundaries and uh, not settling. Because she could have settled for mm -hmm. what he was offering her, this apartment and this life where she was going to be basically... Um, his call girl for the rest of her life. And she's like, no, I don't want that. I, I, I want the romance. I, you know, motherfucker, you're going to you know, marry me if you want this on a regular basis. And I so I and it was just like, for it. huh? I have a worse term for it because it, if she had, if she had given in, if she'd agreed to it, it wouldn't have been a call girl. It would have been a hired pussy. Yeah. I mean, she would have basically been his mistress, his, his, his sugar baby. And you know what? Girls, there's nothing wrong with being a sugar baby, but, the, but that's not what Vivian wanted. No, she, she wanted, wanted the whole deal, she wanted the whole taco, <laughs> mm -hmm. she wanted that enchilada and, and the sides, <laughs> right? And she and she got it because she was very clear about her boundaries and what she wanted. And he he realized he didn't want he 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 caught some feels and he didn't want to give her up, so he he um he met that standard. And climbed up the side of the building with some roses and shit because that's fucking romantic. <laughs> Dangerous as fuck, but romantic. <laughs> it was a very rickety <laughs> situation. <Got that. laughs> but yeah, so um, I actually really enjoyed the movie. Even like 
I watched Pretty Woman a lot when I was younger, and I was, I, I watched the guy, I guess about a year ago, and I was really reluctant to watch it because I didn't want to ruin it for myself. Because you mm -hmm. know, sometimes you watch something that you watched when you were young, and you're like, oh my god, what the fuck, what the actual fuck. But it really, I mean, it was really there. So mm -hmm. I, yeah, I appreciate Pretty Woman. I mean, yeah, I mean there there are issues. Oh yeah, the fact that he yeah. paid for sex, you know, but no. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna say yes and no. He paid for sex, but he didn't go hunt for sex. No, no, he just came upon sex. Mm hmm. So, but yeah, there's a couple movies I've actually I remember enjoying the hell out of as a uh, as a kid, and I watching them as an adult. There's problematic. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. My mom loved, and I find even to this day, parts of it hysterically funny, Ice Pirates. I love Ice Pirates. It is, it, we have actually a whole podcast dedicated to Ice Pirates. It's hysterically funny. Yes. Space Herpes. It's a parody. And I, you know, but um, yeah. Pretty in Pink, problematic. Um, 16 Candles, her grandmother molests her in the hallway. I don't actually think I watched 16 Candles. So so Sam is Molly Ringwald's character, Sam, is turning 16, mm -hmm. of course, during the course of this movie. And her sister's getting married. Um, and her grandmother, her paternal grandmother. Ew. This is already great. Or is it her maternal? It's, it's paternal. a grandmother. It's a paternal grandmother. Um is in the house and she has I guess she has not seen Sam in a while and Sam has developed breasts and um, she says oh you've got boobies and it cuts so you don't actually see it but Fred she's gotten her boobies and you see her reaching out with both hands to grab this girl by the tits and then later on Sam is talking to somebody and said that she just got felt up by her grandma her I grandma don't... sexually molested her if yeah. my grandma had done that to me, I'd have rung her bell. But my grandma was a fucking lady, and she wouldn't have done shit like that. Mm. And so, like, and then of course, there's there's there, there's a whole that there are other things that are actually worse <laughs> in Sixteen Candles, if you can believe it. So, but yeah, I mean, there's there's some racist stereotyping going on. Um, and, and uh, then there's the whole thing with um, uh, the prom queen. <sighs> Lovely. I mean, there was a time when I thought it was funny that Jake put his ex-girlfriend or his soon-to-be sort of ex-girlfriend drunk out of her mind in a car with another dude and let him drive off with her. Oh, my God. I didn't understand. what I, I don't think I understood what it was. But then... Watching it as an adult, I realized that he gave his girlfriend to this guy in exchange for information about Sam. This guy goes off with her. She's drunk out of her mind. He's not much better. And they have sex. No. No. It's not sex. No, it's not sex. Because he was sober enough to... Well, not really, because he fucked the car up. He um, he did wreck the car. So I don't... Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if he was sober enough for consent either. And so it's just... It was like, oh. 
as an adult, it was really, really, really upsetting. So yeah, I mean, how, how did we get here? <laughs> Crushes. <laughs> right. Sam has a crush on a terrible person in 16 Candles. Let's put it that that's way. Another, that's another one that has a crush that does a lot of stuff to try and get his the object of his crush. Do you remember that one? My chauffeur. What I remember most about that is that his father thought he was also her father. Yes. Um, but he wasn't. But there was that moment where they both thought they were siblings. And she was like, oh, we've been bad. (laughs) Yes, we've been very bad. Actually, the the part that that makes my family, or at least the women in my family giggle, because dad avoided this particular movie like the plague, was where um, they're walking along and the male lead has fallen into a really sticky mud puddle. And the girl didn't. And she's commenting, it's so very sticky out here or something like that. Because he's she's just being a real asshole. Complete. <laughs> and I remember actually any elements in that movie that were really problematic for me. I'm not sure I want to watch it because I remember it being very cute. Yeah. I don't want to know any better. Actually, the part that was problematic was um, the one of her, her rides, Sid Vicious or whatever the hell it was. And... Um, they, they had a running bet or something going on where they got underwear from a uh, blue-haired woman dressed in blue with a blue-haired dog. And they forcibly took her underwear. And that was the worst part of that movie. Do you remember that one? Uh, not really. Yeah, that was it. Oh, my God. Panty mm-hmm. snatching is the worst. Don't do that. So no. what I would say about crushes is that, you know, it's cute when, you, when you're up front about it and, you know, you're all blushy and... You know, you want to go on a date and that's fine. It's cute. And if you take, you know, no for an answer, it's great. But if you have a shrine <laughs> full of candid pictures you've taken with your cell phone. <laughs> I think that goes beyond crush straight into stalker creep, territory. Creep it is very much, very it's much creeptastic. And as a matter of fact, now I have an idea for, for a Cooper fic. Thank you. You're welcome. So, uh, inserting some some honesty and if you're writing a romance you know crush to romance then you know your other character is going to respond positively to positive positively thank you to your uh, your crush characters overtures just be you know honest and um admiration is fine Admiring somebody, finding somebody attractive, finding somebody sexy, all that is fine. But it's the actions that define what your character is. You know, someone with an awkward crush or someone who may or may not be willing to keep your body in a freezer. Because there should be a big fat line between those two people. (laughs) Yes. This this is where... this is where you're really hoping that there, that whoever the um, stalker is is not taking the Home Depot uh, recommendations for chest freezers literally. Did you see that? No. Mm-mm. Small, you know, three to five uh, people, <laughs> medium four to six, you know. Large. For the record, that chart is not how many people you can fit in the freezer. It's how much food you can store to feed <laughs> that many people. Yes. <laughs> not store that many people. They'd have to be small. 
But when you when you have a character who is approaching their the object of their desire with um with dishonesty and um ill intent and proprietary uh language um like they're more like, more like they're an object than a person that's when it gets creepy when they're objectifying their target versus trying to date or become lovers with an, another person. So that that objectification is where it gets really fucking creepy. And that obsession is is ugly. So just keep that in mind. So Mizu asks, um, I'm curious to know how to write a three-way relationship as a triad. What, what steps to take? Um, one of the first steps is POV. When it comes to a triad, you either have one POV or you have three as it involves their romantic relationship because you have to have equality in the triad. Uh, otherwise, you get a situation where um, it ends up looking like a harem fic, which is gross. And I don't care if that's your kink. I think it's gross. I'm not on board with it. But with, with the triad... When I wrote Dr. Lowell, I wrote it strictly from Harry's point of view because it was a single POV challenge, um, which, you know, in retrospect, would, I probably would have made that choice regardless, even as difficult as it was, because I would not have wanted to spread my POV over all three of them. I think you would have gone bonkers. I think I'd have hit 300K. <laughs> Can I ask you to, you know, never mind. What? I don't mind when you get wordy. <laughs> but you know what though um i know people actually don't mind a big ass fic uh but there is something um demoralizing about never finishing true that's not the the actual one but that's a good example of um that's hilarious isn't it just my husband now currently we have a one deer freezer, but he'd like to move to the four deer. Yeah. Uh he wants it upright. So because I you know what the thing about the chest freezer is it's really hard to get stuff out of it. I mean with not without falling into it. I mean, um, and I'm five foot four, right? So five foot three. I'm gonna tell that mm -hmm. lie. I'm five foot three and a, like a quarter. Anyways, um if if that matters. It matters every little bit. Okay. Um, but if you have stuff in the bottom of your freezer, you have to take every fucking thing out of it to get to it. It's really annoying. Mm -hmm. And then you'd be down there and you'll find steaks you bought two years ago. And you're like, God damn it. <laughs> uh-huh. You're looking at the chart. Well, it says if it's frozen, it's indefinitely good. But the quality is going to be... <sighs> well, I guess, now wait a I guess the dogs are going to be eating T-bones for dinner. <laughs> this this is where you... you um see how you froze it because if you froze it where you know you use the the vacuum seal and everything is just up you know nice and tight and wonderful you're probably good right if you stuck it in the ziplock and threw it in there you're screwed but if you put it in the uh in the vacuum sealer and i do but it's not tight anymore after two years yeah the dogs are eating t-bones for dinner yes <laughs> so i have i have the upright version of the one deer and we honestly should probably have an upright version of the two deer 
maybe at the three. But I, because... I, we, we want to move to an upright freezer just because, just for organization. Yes. It's, it's really frustrating good. to have a chest freezer. I don't mm -hmm. recommend it at all. Um, but uh, how did we get here? Oh, because I said stalkers. Okay. Yes. But uh, just... Uh, oh, triads. We, we, we moved on to triads and then we ended up back in freezers. Mm -hmm. Uh, whatever. Sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Triads. So, but like I said, the, the, the first thing you have to do is pick your POV. If, so if you're going to do a single POV, which I recommend, even though it was really difficult for me and I don't want to ever do it again. <laughs> or you have three POVs there. because you have to have equality amongst your characters to create a relationship that is um, equal and makes sense. Um, and what I would also acknowledge that in a triad, equal does not mean the same and that you have to keep in mind that there are more that, that, that it's more than one relationship um you're like in darkly lowell harry had a relationship with draco and he had a relationship with hermione and then draco and hermione had a relationship and then they had a relationship together and so all of these relationships had to work in harmony <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. It's that word again. That word. They they had to work, right? So they, they had to have communication and they had to be open and honest. And, and it took a long time for them to get there. And you see that re reflected in the coping mechanisms they use when they return to the past to, to deal with conflict and to deal with um with their with their with their new circumstances and to deal with all the things that were coming at them so that, so that they could have a better future so that they could, so that their children would be safe. And then, you know, Zier threw a whole new layer on top of it mm -hmm. uh, by acknowledging um, who and what they are, yep. or what they were. And then the Deathly Hallows and, and what I did with that. So managing all three of those relationships for all four of those relationships in the triad Took a lot of communication and honesty and attention. So that's what I would focus on um, in creating a triad and a staircase or fake stairs that Dobby is never going to sit on. <laughs> pretend stairs. He called it pretend stairs. <laughs> yeah, I, well, respect is important in any relationship. If if you want to be in a relationship where um, your boundaries are respected and um, your opinion is valued and your emotional um, well-being is important to your partner, that is all built on a foundation of respect. Because if you're with somebody who doesn't respect you at a basic level, then you're standing on thin air. And so when you're building a relationship, a fictional relationship between your characters, building it on um, honest communication and respect and um, love uh, is, is really, really, really important. I've done one. No, wait a second. Let me rephrase it. I've done two trios and they haven't been fanfic. Yeah. You did, um, you did them in your um, novellas that you, that you uh -huh. published. Yeah. And in both of them, it was a very, um, the, the object of it was to make sure that, that, you know, everything was as, as 
good and as honest as I could make it where um, all the parties knew to, that they could talk, you know, that, that they were able to um, exchange information and, and, and be honest with each other. So I've not been mm, in a trip, I lost so you. I can't. Oh, hey, I'm still here. Can you hear me? Hello. Can you guys hear her? Is it just me? Hello. Hey, guys. Okay. Hmm. Well, I can hear you. Okay. I just reset myself. Yes. I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can now, yes. Awesome. Okay. Okay. What I... <laughs> What I was trying to say is, um, I've never been in a trio. So for me, you have to think of, you know, I had to look at my relationship with my spouse and use that and say, you know, hey, is it working? Uh, Chad's still going, right? Yeah. Awesome. The chat is great. <laughs> chat is awesome. <laughs> oh, did we? It was still in the um. It was still in the ask me question, so um. Uh, I don't think it's a big deal to answer it again because some people didn't listen to the novellas, you know. So, <laughs> and also it's a slightly different take on it because times passed and there's a new person. And also here. there's you. Yes. Yeah. Different answer. Different answer. But yeah, I, you know, honestly, any romantic relationship is built on communication and trust and respect. Yeah. Um. Because because if you don't have those, it's 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 gonna fall apart one way or another, and it can be really really ugly and painful. So mirroring that in your fiction um, is uh, a good realistic choice. Yes, and you also and like that that eternal misunderstanding gag that has no foundation. It's just weird. Like yes. where do they even come from? It's really frustrating for me as a reader. Uh -huh. I wrote um, in I wrote a short story called Bella's Garden. Um, I published it today. It's a Hobbit fic. It's a Rule sixty three, and Bella and Thorin um, had a miscommunication early on in their relationship, and there is it, a big misunderstanding between them that neither one of them have broached since because they don't want to hurt each other with it because he thinks that she can't have children. And he, she thinks he doesn't ever want children because he doesn't like them. And so she, she knew that going in, right? Because um, he told her that he didn't want kids because he had been told, he misunderstood what Gandalf said. And he thought Bella couldn't have kids and he wanted her. So he was like, I don't want kids. Uh -huh. <laughs> and so they had this misunderstanding that was built on not hurting each other. And to me, that that made sense because sometimes yeah. you do, you don't speak of something to your partner because it's painful. That is totally understandable, you know, because they either to they yourself had... or to them. Yeah, because yeah. it it sounds like from you know I, I read it that they thought they had discussed it and that they had both reached a mutual understanding of what was going on with the other and come to find out there were two different conversations going and both of them missed it. Right. Y'all yeah. will never know how close I came to actually having her use the words. I'm going to send um, Gandalf a sternly worded letter. 
which would have been an Easter egg for my Stargate fans. But um, yes. a sternly worded surface-to-air missile. That's right. <laughs> um, but a mutual misunderstanding built on um the desire not to to hurt somebody is 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 something that happens in relationships. So it's something that I wanted to explore in this short story, um, just about you know different cultures yeah and biology and misunderstandings but not like some weird ass i don't love you we're gonna i'm going back to the shower and fuck you and so and so they're both pining for three years <laughs> oh god i just i just i can't i sternly worded raven <laughs> yes Get this, get the or, sassiest ra Raven you've got up there, and bring him here. <laughs> well, wait a second. Ravens also apparently can um, talk. Or, or can yeah. talk. So you know, you can have one laden with stern words. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's gonna carry my independence, <laughs> right? But so yeah, sternly worded letter. But um, so I don't even. I I I lost it. Uh, I lost where I was going. <laughs> uh, so did I, but oh well. I'm reading Sinna's stuff. Misunderstanding. Uh-huh. So. It's not it's not Turiel. It's Thanduil's level of bitchiness. Which is difficult, I think, to master. Yes. Because Lee Pace did such a fabulous job playing that man. Uh... Stay safe, Dirk. Okay, so the next question is about um, uh, foreshadowing and fanfic for romance in a sequel. And I think we might have discussed this already. Maybe. Um, um, but we'll do it again anyway. Okay, so I think when I am like, when I'm like currently, I am building a um, an original fiction series. Um, mm -hmm. And the series is um, Zenova. Um, Zenova, yeah. <laughs> fucking princess diaries anyways um you and one of the things that i'm doing is introducing a um cast of characters so, so this first novel is very important because um you get a taste for everybody right everybody's getting introduced and first impressions are important when it comes to, to to characters in a series because i want when it's finished i'll it would be like well i want to see what happens with this person and who is this person going to end up with and are they banging because if they're not banging they need to be banging right so you want to have these background characters behind your main characters um stand out but not stand out too much so foreshadowing sequels to your work one thing I did in Fall for You was introduce several characters that um, mm -hmm. will eventually get their own books. Um, but what I also did was set up a tiny foreshadowing for a little short story of Riley and Marcus bonding, which I've not written yet, but I would like to. So, okay, just just a little sexy story about them actually mate mate biting and bonding. Mm -hmm. Um, which which they did not do in Fall for You. I, I didn't think no, it was no. the right place to do it. Um, There's also that I know of, just from the top of, um, you know, thinking about the, the story, there's at least two people on there that I could see having um, sequels. His brother, 
Yes, that is totally um, number one because Jared. Yes, Jared's. Um, I even foreshadowed uh, his um, his romantic interest. Yes, you did. And then um, Raleigh's sister. Actually, and, didn't think about her. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about the hot cop. Oh, yeah, and the hot cop. Yeah. <laughs> the hot cop is actually um, the one I'm most interested in writing. I really enjoy the character of Jared because I love a smart ass. Um, uh -huh. But I'm really looking forward to Law's book, Lawrence Law, because mm -hmm. Law's sexy. Um, uh, when, I, when, I, when I created him for that scene, I, I did his basic profile. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, when I was writing that scene, and um, he was telling Riley that you know you're the sheriff, you know you're the sheriff's hot doctor. You can't undress me. I was like, I'm behind the right story. <laughs> you just totally earned yourself a sequel. <laughs> Law, because it's sexy. Well, actually, Law and Kronos would be in the same book because I'd want to pair them together. Oh, that's awesome. Kronos deserves all the nice things. So um, I think he needs somebody. Um, Kronos needs somebody um, who is. Um, Who's stable and um, sweet, sweet and hot. Yes. And I think law fits that bill. So, yes. Yeah. So that kind of foreshadowing, I mean, I, I'm not sure if that's what you were talking about in your question. Um, I find sequels featuring the same pair over and over again. Honestly, if it's not like, like say, romantic suspense, like with the In Death series, um, I find it really boring. Mm -hmm. I'm not In Death. In, in, in Death intrigues the fuck out of me. I, I look forward to every single book she puts out. My favorite is New York to Dallas, um, if you guys care. Uh, but part of it is that she also builds other stuff around it. There are more than just, it's not just Rourke and, and, and Eve who are in there there are other people who share screen time yeah and it's also because she's a murder cop so she's solving murders appreciate yes. that because that's a romantic suspense it's it's not a romance novel so we're not getting the same set of characters over and over again banging and having misunderstandings and having arguments and getting back together um we're, we're having um murder <laughs> murder, murder 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 and inventive and twisted. And honestly, some of the people who get murdered, you kind of look at them and go, good, I'm glad you're dead. You really had that coming, but Eve's going to get you justice anyway. Yes. <laughs> because the person who did it needs to get off the streets. And I do like the relationship between Eve and Rourke. Don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, honestly, am I the only one that would really like Nora just to let loose for just a moment and have him bang her like a drum? Is it just me? <laughs> No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't even remember the last one I read. It. I, I basically mainlined them in one big gulp at one point, and I just can't. Well, when um, my mom had um, surgery, um, there was some physical therapy afterwards. And so I mm -hmm. read the entire in-depth series while I was in the hospital with her, uh, taking her to rehab and all mm -hmm. that stuff. So they do bang like drums in every single book. But I mean, I want a full-on explicit sex scene. Give it to me, Nora. I'm I'm ready. <laughs> I don't think she is. I know she's not. It's okay. It's okay. Oh. I remember the first time I read um, a, a J.D. Robb book. It was Naked in Death. It was the first in the series. Someone mm -hmm. passed it to me and says, you need to read this. And it was paperback. And I read it. And then I called her ass. I was like, you heifer. She, she was like, did you like it? I said, are there any more? 
<laughs> so, and there were like fifteen more, and I was like, oh, "Meet me oh, at the bookstore." Okay. <laughs> yes. So, what was really weird is my sister, when she was growing up, hated reading. She had a rel- relatively short attention span. And she could read just perfectly fine. She just didn't like to. Also had issues with sitting still. But as an adult, I think it was the in-depth in-depth series that mom got her hooked on. And she read the whole damn thing. And I'm pretty sure there, there were like 15 at the time, too. She read all the way through. Basically didn't stop to breathe. And goes, okay, what next? And mom handed her another series of books. Hell if I know what it was. And my sister is not the type of reader that I am where she'll basically or, you know, would sit there and read without an issue because she can sit and stare into space and not have any, not be bored apparently. But she does read nowadays. And I totally thank the in-depth series for that because she didn't before. It's a big series. There are a lot of books. Um, I have them all on Kindle, and it's just and they like, come out twice a year. Boom. Because Nora is a professional. She's a machine who writes every. Yeah, there day. are forty-eight novels, and then a whole bunch of novellas. Yeah, so mm-hmm. boom, boom, boom. But my favorite, like I said, is 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 New York to Dallas. Um, is Golden in Death fifty number fifty? Yeah, she does write eight hours a day. Nora is is mm-hmm. is she puts it out. If puts she it out, um, God help us all. If she died tomorrow, we'd still be getting books for a couple of years. Shut your Sorry. mouth. I know, I know. Sorry. Um, but uh, like I said, New York Dallas is my favorite because we get some closure on Eve, but we also see a really vulnerable Rourke. Um admitting that he needs help um because eve gets pissed at him because he brought the psychologist the the police psychologist from new york to dallas Mm -hmm. because of some developments i don't want to spoil for whoever watches it and reads it and eve is really furious with him for doing this and he's like he they're in the car and he's like and she says i don't need her and he's like i need her god damn it and it was just like yeah yeah, the, Dr. Mira. It was that moment, and it was mm-hmm. just like, boom. There, there's, there are a lot more equal than you would expect. Looking at it from the start, there's a there's a lot of give and take in that relationship, and it's for the most part, it's healthy. They're they're very damaged people. They come yes. from very damaged circumstances mm-hmm. and they dealt with that damage in different ways. He mm-hmm. basically thinks he needs to own, own the whole planet and he's working on it really hard. And maybe Mars. Yes. <laughs> couple of moons. He's, mm-hmm. he's not picky. Um, and she became a cop. And so, but they both came from these really deeply um, abusive circumstances as children and grew up into these really complicated adults. But the reason that that series stands isn't, um, it's there, they have a really um, strong relationship and a law of love, but there's this uh, momentum behind it of her job. Mm-hmm. And it's this un- unending drumbeat of, of her job. Yeah. 
Although I also really like the scene um, where uh, he consults with the police for various reasons. And um, there's a moment, and I forget which book it's in, and someone's going to be able to tell me, where she's behind a locked door with somebody who's threatening to kill her, and he's having to, to get through this computer lock. Um, and he is working his ass off to get through this. And um, he gets through, and she's like... I'm done. <laughs> hey, babe. <laughs> like, he's there to rescue her, but she doesn't need it, but she appreciates it, you know? And mm -hmm. it's just like, that's just goals. Yeah. I don't want to spoil it for people who um, haven't, re haven't read it, but it's that, that's just goals right there. I mean, you know. But then there's also a scene early on in the series where, uh, his life is in serious danger due to a device and she thinks he's used it. And so she's racing up, she's racing up these stairs to get to him before he loses it. Um, and he hasn't used the device, fortunately. Um, but there was an immediacy in her reaction to the idea mm -hmm. that he was in that much danger. And um, it was a visceral reaction she wasn't happy to have. It's fierce, right? They have this mm -hmm. really fierce, I'm going to fuck up everybody vibe between them. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's gorgeous. And so when you're writing in a series like that, it, it's very primal. If you're going to um, have, a, have a sequel of books about and have a central pairing like Eve and Rourke, you need to have elements outside of it. Um, so it needs... Uh, we talked a long time ago about like what kind of relationship you want to develop between your characters. Um, and what I would say is that um, in a series like in death, your relationship with your characters needs to be them against the world. You know, um, instead of like them having conflict with each other all the time. And I can't be perfect all the time. So there has to be a lot of little moments or little, little, you know, little, little conflicts that, you know, push them through the day. Because honestly, when you're married to somebody, sometimes their breathing will make you furious. Yep. <laughs> it's just like, motherfucker, would you? The, this this year will be 21 years for the husband and I. And there have been times when I have seriously contemplated smothering him with his own pillow <laughs> normally when he's snoring like a trucker and i can't sleep and poking on him does not make him i mean i can poke him he can turn over and and find a new position and he still snores like a trucker by the way um speaking of series and and um couples that that call them the 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 main support of the the main thrust of the 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 story you've got one that is very definitely the as far as i'm i'm concerned the main thrust of the story and that's what might have been mm. you're john and rodney in that one and getting to that point not quite but working on it they're almost there it feels is ties that bind yeah, yeah. because Th that's a they, journey yeah they they don't quite have the synergy but they're you can see it coming together it's starting to gel. In in what might have been, it's definitely us against the universe. Yes. Um, 
John's all in. Rodney's all in. I'm gonna blow up this planet if you don't give my John back. <laughs> I'm so fucking serious. <laughs> he blew the planet up anyhow. He just did it on a time delay. <laughs> right. You got a few years. You need to pack your shit and go. <laughs> but leave. A, give us all the data first. <laughs> yeah. But but what I would also say, uh, someone said in the chat room that um, Eve's inability to understand time zone drives you crazy. Eve understands time zones fine. She, she just thinks it's bullshit. Mm -hmm. And it infuriates her. I know people like this. And my grandpa would have preferred the whole planet be on universal time. He would have preferred it to be the same time everywhere on the planet. No. He 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 found it infuriating that it was not. <laughs> and I think that's where Eve is. Eve understands time zones. She just thinks they're bullshit. And really, like, oh, you can't say jack shit because you live in a you live in a state that ignores um, everybody around you using daylight savings time. <laughs> I work in an industry that means I have to pay attention to them. Okay? <laughs> Occasionally, I even have to to actually look up and make sure I'm calling Puerto Rico, Puerto fucking Rico. It's not something I call on a, on a regular basis. What the fuck time zones, Puerto Rico. What, you know, this is when you, this is, this is when you ask Siri, do you, do you have an iPhone? No, honey. I, I actually have a real phone. I don't know. Oh, well, me too. I have an Android, but I don't, you know, I think Jilly has the iPhone. Hey, she Alexa, does. what time is it in Puerto Rico? The time in Puerto Rico is 12.43 a.m. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I can't ask that question when I'm at work. Google will answer that for you, too. Yes, what I'm saying is, is that I do think Eve understands time zones perfectly well. She just finds them infuriating. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and some people are just like that. Mm -hmm. Well, come on. I, I mean... My current job, the, the, the furthest out I have to normally go is Puerto Rico. Um, very occasionally Hawaii. Uh, but my, my previous job when I was in the Navy, I used to have to figure out what time it was sometimes on the East Coast. You know, when I was in, let's say, Darwin, Australia. You know, and then you're sitting there looking at the time zones going, fuck, <laughs> and start counting. Okay, I, I, I guess I can right. call them in like two, three. I'll call them on my late night. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> you know, and, and the thing is, is, you know, you're looking at it going Greenwich and counting over and it's shit. I can't even remember how to do the, the computations anymore. You know. I've never actually been on a cruise ship, so I don't know what they do. Do they did they adjust the time on the ship when you were in the Navy, like to based yep. on the time zone? Yep. So you constantly lost and gained hours. Uh, Rude. Since, since my ship um, didn't actually go on long distance cruises, mm -hmm. we were basically moving around about an hour either direction. Oh, okay. So it wasn't that bad. Um maybe two hours uh depending on what it was the really weird one was when we went four to a half hour but that was that was a little bizarre um but for the ships that that go across um you know the whole the whole ocean 
you know, if they go from, say, Hawaii to um, Hawaii to to Virginia, okay, and you you straddle the whole of um, not the equator, but you basically go through Europe and and through the Suez Canal and through Gibraltar and the Mediterranean and all the rest, you know, you're crossing a lot of time zones. Okay. And yeah, we have people in the Philippines with my job and they're currently closed up because they can't, they can't work from home. Um, but they're, um, it's really weird that, that when we, you know, check our stuff for them, all of our emails from the Philippines would come somewhere around midnight, which would be, you know, when they started their day. So we'd come in and we'd see this batch of emails from the Philippines guys. And it's like, okay, well, okay. Yeah. People would be asking us for something and it's like, well, the Philippines handles that. You'll get that answer in about 16 hours. Have a good day. <laughs> have a good day okay Pretty our much. next question is from jace blue how do you decide where to include include conflict outside the main conflict driving the plot i mean arguments between characters romantic drama etc i think that it's um what i see often in fandom is these little moments spiraling out of control um and this is a killer for word economics where you you insert drama for the sake of drama and it's like why 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 did we need this what did this do did this serve my characterization did this further my plot no it did not delete 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 except they don't delete <laughs> they leave it in so what you need to do is make very careful concise choices about relationship dynamics and drama in your story is like okay there's a scene in in Finding Atlantis where John and Rodney are on the couch and Rodney kisses John and Sebastian walks in on it. So Rodney darts out of the <laughs> out of the apartment. With like, his hair like, on fire. Like, like he got caught kissing somebody when he was 16. Anyways, and so uh that moment wasn't actually okay the, the the kiss was important for John and Rodney's developing relationship, but Sebastian interrupting it was about me dealing with the penguin potty. <laughs> the penguin potty situation. That was a twofer. Because then it also led to John having a conversation with his son about his sexuality, um, which was, you know, important. That's relationship building with his son, talking about, you know, um, the potential to have a relationship with McKay and how Sebastian felt about that because John's no longer, you know, John's a package deal these days in, in finding Atlantis. He has a kid and a penguin. <laughs> Penguins are very important here in this. Can't, can't forget Avery's <laughs> emotional development. So, uh, you know, McKay, you know, kissing him in that moment, McKay is like, you know, laying it out there. I, you know, I'm, I'm I'm here for the kid and the penguin. I'm I'm here. I'm I'm here for it. But wow, the kid caught us kissing goodbye. So <laughs> you know, but it was really about the penguin. It was about the penguin potty because I just I had to address the penguin potty. I mean, because see, that's that is lampshading right there because mm -hmm. I addressed it before you could think about it. 
-hmm. <laughs> so, um, a little bit of lampshading, but that scene had purpose. So when you, when you look at your story and you're putting little moments like that in, you have to ask yourself, does this have a purpose? Is this furthering my characterization? And if you're trying to find elements to insert into your narrative um, to, to create uh, a fuller, richer picture of your story, then you need to pick elements that further your characterization. Go there first. Be before you hit like, like subplots that impact your overall plot, you know, before you drop a body <laughs> to further your plot, focus instead on furthering your characterization with these little um, moments, these, these dramas, these little events. Um, that way you can contain them and they don't spiral out of control in your plot and end up dangling when you finish. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I did pretty good tying off everything in restoration. Mm -hmm. You know, I did leave everything pretty ambiguous as to what, you know, the choice was because I honestly, I, I was at the point of, of grabbing a quarter and flipping for it to figure out what I wanted to do because I'd written that to the point where I could have chosen either and they'd have been legit choices. Yeah. And so um, the the little conflicts, the little, you know, um, bumps in the road that I put between, uh, Harry and Draco in that story for them were things that, that helped them figure out, um, how to actually be a couple and do, you know, to make things work for themselves for the external conflict was trying to get a kingdom up and running. Yeah. So I think I did okay on that one. Yeah, and you didn't add a whole bunch of other external conflicts to pile on top of it because you no. already had a big one. Yes. And so you don't need that to keep piling it on. No. If you have actually, a big have... element like that, you need to follow it through. Mm -hmm. I had two big ones actually. Um, when you think about it, first big one was what got you know what got them sent back there in the first place. You know, um, fate and magic and all the rest sent them back in time and into what amounted to a new universe. Um, or at least it felt like it. I don't know if I ever made the decision on if it was or not. And you crazy ass. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know you hate it. The story's finished and you still haven't decided. It's been no, years. I know. But the thing is, is I never figured out how I wanted to do the next bit, you know, the next step, which would be, mm. you know, break out that quarter and do the flip as, you know, heads, do I do this tails? Do I do that? You know, and this, in this case would be, do they step back through the, the lintel and back into the world that they had left behind and try and, and fight for what was, what they wanted and make things work and have it. So that way, Harry was not potioned into marrying Jenny, who would be potioned into marrying him. You know, do, do they do that? You know, um, or do they stay where they are and live out their lives, you know, as the, um, <laughs> as the, 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 um, you know, the, the, re basically the retired king of, of, you know, of a Camelot and his, his consort in the, the castle that is Hogwarts, you know, teaching classes and everything. Do I get a vote? <laughs> because I know what I would vote for. <laughs> 
Sure. What's your I mean, Okay. Because so I'm... here are your options. They either stay back in time where it's lovely um, and they have magic and they have each other and they, and they, they live in the castle and there's children um, yes. or they go back to the future where it sucks. Yes. Now, if they're going back to the future and their plan isn't to kill all these motherfuckers, <laughs> then I would prefer that they stay back in time and have a lovely um, life in the castle. Yes. I'm just saying. Well, at that point, you know, they're, they're going to walk through this, you know, make this decision, you know, side by side. Everybody's awake because um, when they came back in time, Harry was still unconscious. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, they either have a happy life in the past, or they go into the future and they kill everybody. <laughs> murder for the win. Yeah. Murder, 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 murder. <laughs> and the thing is, is, you know, that's the reason why I stopped and I, I sat there and just looked at this and it's like, fuck. Because I was sitting there going, what, I, what decision do I make? You know, whatever decision I make, there's you know, another minimum 50,000 words on either side of this decision. With, it'll you know. be great. I look for, don't, don't, but don't show me your outline. I don't ever <laughs> want to see your outline again as long as I live. I, I, I just can't believe you. Um, but did you, did you recognize it? All the stuff that I put in, it actually works for what I did. I mean, I'm sure it, it, it works for you. And that's the important part. It's just, you know, as your best friend, I'm asking you to never expose me to that again. Because <laughs> it hurt my feelings. Oh, it, no, it didn't hurt your feelings, hon. It just made every single bit of you that is a, a plotter set, sit up and scream. I'm not screaming. I'm hurt. I caught feelings. <laughs> no, honey, you screamed. <laughs> I caught bad feelings. Did you guys yeah. hear me scream? You didn't hear me scream. No, but I'm pretty sure your knickers of judgment sat up and twisted. <sighs> They're strangling me right now, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I'm talking. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm joking with her. I... No, I'm not joking. Um, <laughs> You're not joking. <laughs> but that does not mean that her process is invalid. I no. mean, obviously it serves her very well. And that's the point. Mm -hmm. Even if it wants me, it makes me want to go screaming into the night. Yes. It still works for her. And that's what you should have as your goal as a writer mm -hmm. to, to create a process that works legitimately every single time for you. So that when you sit down with an idea, you can put together your prep work, whatever it may be, whether it's character profiles, a zero draft, an outline. The, the best, well, the best I mean, way to put uh, mine is, is the emotional pitch of what I wanted out of this, out of the chapter. And that, and that's what works for you. And that's mm -hmm. the important part. Um, I would never in a million years ask Lady Holder to do a scene chart. Number one, I think they're confining and ridiculous. And two, I think I, she would come to my house and chuck it at my head. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, I'm going on a road trip. How long will you be gone? About 10 days. <laughs> Driving 12 hours a day-ish. <laughs> I think I can get there enough time to... Yeah, chuck this at her head and then come back. <laughs> Make myself understood. Say hello. And maybe to... we'll have dinner. <laughs> yes. 
take you out to get your gas in your car and everything and you know then come back but you know <laughs> gas my car i mean i would really appreciate that um, i know <laughs> but uh, i scene charting uh, or uh like storyboarding on that level um i don't recommend it to anybody not even a hardcore plotter because i think it really locks you in to a a, a structure that can destroy creativity. Yeah. Now, if you are one of those people who does that and it works for you and you are completing projects and that's the important part. If you're doing that and you're getting to the fucking end on a regular basis, then you keep doing that shit. But if you're doing that and you never get to the end, the thing then is maybe you need to do some adjustments. Yeah. I don't think I, I mean, when I did restoration and I did that, that particular outline and how I did it, I just wanted it because I needed something to to mesh the two things together and figure out how I wanted the emotional tone of this thing to go through. Um, the details, the um, the actual mesh work, all of that stuff was written on the fly, which is, I know, what makes you have the absolute screaming heebie-jeebies. Okay. And what's going to make you have even bigger heebie-jeebies is I haven't written this anything like that for my, for April. <laughs> I'm not surprised at all, but really I would not expect that of you, honestly, because no. you're, um, you're, you're coming into a series that you've been writing for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, your characters, you know, your story, you know, where you're going to go with it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know what prep work you would want to do. If someone asked me to sit down and by the way, no one can ask me this. I wouldn't even let Lady Holder ask me this. Mm -mm. If someone asked me to sit down and write a sequel to, um, to, to write the next book in Ties That Bind or to write the next book in um, Ring of Fire, which is the sequel series to what might have been, I could sit down and do it. That mm -hmm. work's already been done in my head. I might. I'd probably zero draft for the, for the um next book in uh, Ties That Bind because I have some complicated shit coming up. Yes. Um, uh, Caldwell is snaked. Yeah. Um, and there's going to... That, that, that whole bomb situation on Atlantis um, comes to a head. And uh, there, you know, there's, so there's lots of things... Or there's lots of moving parts in the next book right. for Ties That Bind. But the next book for Ring of Fire is just John and Rodney leaving on the Phoenix to go retrieve Atlantis and is, I've written that book six times in my head. Oh, hallelujah. Um, there's a couple others. I mean, there's a couple things that I remember seeing bits of, and I'm wondering how they're going to get woven in, but I'm pretty sure you've got that in hand. The one that I, I honestly don't expect you to do a zero draft for, cause I'm pretty sure you've got it already is, um, damn it. What is that one? Um, Lantian Legacy. <laughs> I've got like 10 zero drafts for that series. Yeah. I have got over 100K in zero draft for Lantian Legacy. Good God, woman. So I have more in zero draft than I actually have published for Lantian Legacy. Mm hmm. But I did make some really good decisions during an after show for the podcast. That's right, Margaret. Um, we even yep. named him. Mm -hmm. 
So we made some really good decisions for that. And I'm really pleased with them. And I wrote them all down. So I'm really mm -hmm. happy with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, sometimes like when you're working on a series like The Unlikely and The Unwilling, you've already made a lot of those decisions. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't expect you to dig into a prep process for that. The, the closest I may come is to lay out the... Um, how I want everything to basically be... Um, trying to figure the word it's not the um not how i want it to be processed but how i want it to develop you know i know what i want out of it but laying it all down shut up stupid stupid game uh, my boats came in i had to get, I had to get my watermelon um uh -huh. Uh -huh. by the way you've got one hundred twenty-five thousand words of um lantean legacy hmm. yeah surprise it is surprising yeah, I have more than that in zero draft, though. Yes, because I was really surprised by how much zero draft I had, and I was like, "That's ridiculous." But wait, now wait a second. There's also be partially because there's at least three books in there, possibly four. Mm, there are seven. <laughs> okay, apparently I missed a couple in here because I. Well, mean... you know, there's there's stuff. <laughs> I know there's stuff. I remember some of this stuff. We talked there's about this some, stuff. Stuff. We we talked about the hell out of one stuff. Oh um, my god, so much stuff. But uh, what's really interesting, I think, is writing Finding Atlantis put me in a really good position to write um, Sebastian's book, Atlantean Legacy. Awesome. Uh, writing in his POV the way I did in Finding Atlantis really opened him up as a character for me. So that was just a, a really good exercise for that. I felt yeah. I really got his voice his in, in my head really well. Mm -hmm. um, he'll be He's different. He's a sarcastic little shit. But he'll be much different in Lantern Legacy. Yes. A little bitter. Um, yeah. Harder. But oh, yeah. still the core is there. And so, yeah. Lantern Legacy is actually, I think, my tightest fan fiction. It's, it's really tight. I was really, really stingy with myself when it came to plot and um, word economics. No. I, I no, I'm going to argue with that. You were not stingy with yourself on plot. The plot on that thing reaches down into the core of the planet. It's so damn be deep. <laughs> what you were stingy on was the economics. Yeah, I, I was kind okay. of cruel to myself when it came to that. Jesus. It was just like, come on now, my okay. boats aren't here. Lion fucking timer. Yes. Um, Actually, she didn't really have a character that was rude and stuck his ass in. What she had was a um, beta who went, more sex here, please. <laughs> Swear to God, that's where Chris learned that particular phrase. Chris, 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 actually put in one spot, insert blowjob here. I mean, she yes. literally put insert blowjob in a comment. And I think I laughed, myself, I, I laughed myself sick when I saw that because <laughs> I got the second round of it. And I'm sitting here looking at this going, what? No, <laughs> no. This is a great place for a blowjob. Or a handjob. I'm not picky. <laughs> She's hilarious. Oh, God. It's fa it's fabulous. But yeah, yeah. every sex scene in Lanty and in, in in No Enemy Within is there because of Chris King. Yes. Because there was no sex at all in it when I wrote it. And it was fine for it. I mean, it was it was it was tight and wonderful and deep and just as thrilling as as the actual story is currently. It just had no sex, right? And Chris isn't about that. 
<laughs> no, she wanted she wanted the sex, and honestly, you know, given it, it feel it feels good to have it in there. I'm not going to lie, but it would have been it would have been good without it, and that actually is good too because you know if you strike out all the sex, the the book still holds up. And it should when you, when you're writing a book that's not about a romance, and the romance in um, No Enemy Within is is secondary, very much uh, so. If you pull the romance out and your story can't stand, then you've written a romance novel versus just a regular like science fiction mm -hmm. novel. Um, so when I wrote Lantean Legacy, I didn't want to focus, which is why there was no sex to begin with, um, on the relationship between John and Rodney. I wanted to focus on them coming together as a people and um, embracing the changes that were coming to them both mentally and physically and socially. Um, and um, one of the best comments I got, this is, this is going to sound so crazy, but it's a technical thing. It's, I use Miko's pregnancy as a pacing element so that you would know how much time had passed between mm -hmm. the first scene and them leaving that planet. So I used her pregnancy as a metric for that, for pacing. And uh, this is a little technical writing thing, you know, um, mm -hmm. not technical writing, but a little technical piece of, you know, what you do as a writer and so one of my readers actually noticed that and i was like ah <laughs> it's well, always nice when a reader catches like notices your technique yes you know the thing is is i can't open that and and not remember the one of the very first memorable comments i've ever left you on a on a uh a beta and you keep calling it out so you know it's to this day it's still funny her ass put a fucking YouTube video in my beta. It worked. You could have just corrected it. I would have I, believed you. I think I tried in a comment you and I were doing back and forth and you got pissy with me and I said, fuck it. And I found the video and I slapped no, it. No, that was in the very first beta you sent me. Whatever. It worked. You still she talk to me. I did YouTube link. I'm just... You still talk to me, you know, it's been, it's been <laughs> damn near a decade and you still talk to me. So, you know, actually it's been over a decade. <laughs> you know, it's ridiculous, but yeah, it's pretty much. <laughs> yeah. 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 She did. Yeah. But that actually isn't the first beta that she did for me. She, uh -uh. The, the first beta that I, we worked on together um, would be the awakening, which, mm -hmm. I, which I wrote for the Sentinel fandom. Yep. And then you got, God, you know, that, you know, it kind of moved from there and it was, it was, <laughs> we're not arguing. God, we're not arguing. Um, the thing I is, actually, is, Lady Holder and I have never had an argument. No, actually, I don't think we have. Not an actual, like, fuck you argument. No, never. No. <laughs> yes. Um, for the most part, you know, we don't, we don't argue like that. I Our mean, we, assholery we, is very complimentary. <laughs> yes. As, as, um, as Hit Susan is saying on here, we bicker and we do that a lot. And the thing is, is it's, it's a comfortable thing. I mean, it took time. Um, and you know, that's something I want to say for the relationships that you're writing, um, either as a romantic relationship, a friendship, or just a working relationship with people. People, 
if you, if you pay attention to what's going on in your life, you bicker with people. Okay. There are people who you sit there and you trade, you know, little bits back and forth and you may not realize that that's what you're doing. Okay. Um, there are people in my office who I am very proper with, who I am very, you know, there, there's not really any in-depth reaction or, or interaction with them. Um, if they dropped off the face of the earth tomorrow, I won't miss them. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, sorry. It's the truth. Okay. <laughs> there are people who, if, who I talk to on a daily basis, hell, there's one lady I talk to on a daily basis. I don't even know her name for sure. And certain, I think I know who she is if I have to go find her, but she and I talk all the damn time. Okay. Um, how, do you, how, do you, how did you get to this point where you don't know her name? Because we never actually introduced ourselves and I, she works further into the building than I do. So I've never sat, gone to her desk, but she's gone to mine because she passes by me every day. Ah. So, you know, it's one of those, actually, what's really crazy is I'm just going to go walk down because I know where her desk is and I'm going to go read her name. <laughs> That's actually a really good idea. Yeah. Just, just go read her nameplate and yes. hopefully it's not a nameplate from somebody who worked, pre, um, worked there previously. Yes, it is incredibly now too awkward to ask because it's because it's been close to a year now. Or That's so. hilarious. I know it's horrifying, but she walks by every day. You know, we say hello, we laugh back and forth. She's come over. I normally have you know a full medical kit in my desk, so I have you know band aids and and you know um, all the stuff to to take care of cuts and. God knows what else in my desk. And she's come over to ask for stuff. And, you know, we talk and um, she works in a completely different department. Every once in a while, they buy their people lunch and she drops off a, a spare lunch to me. And it's like, thank you. She's like, you're welcome, honey. And off she goes. And it's like, I have a free lunch. Okay. Hot damn. What? Fuck, I don't know her name. What's your name? <laughs> God damn it. Who was that mass stranger? <laughs> yes, pretty much. <laughs> And I have nameplates. My nameplate is back behind me. It says my actual name. She looked at it. She goes, oh, hi, and says my name, and off we go. And it's like, God damn it. <laughs> yes. So the thing is, is I don't have a mutual colleague. She works in a totally different department. <laughs> All right. Completely. So I have to go wandering to double check and make sure I find the right desk. The right desk, not only her desk. Oh my God, this is, it's a mission. It's a mission impossible. I work at a cube farm. Okay. Let's so, Okay, the next question. That's next hilarious. Bibbidi, Bibbidi is actually in the chat room where she was. Is she now? They, they I don't have, they don't, they, they have is not. They? they? They have not assigned themselves, so we'll just go with uh. they. Um. How do you prepare to get back in the riding groove after a nuclear event or hiatus? Well, I just experienced that. Um, and I'm going to do a podcast on that, actually, because um, of something that got said to me that it's got, it's, it's got, I, I've been noodling it. I'm, I'm not angry about it. Her. You're her. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm noodling it. So, Bibbidi, for me, my nuclear event was my dad dying. And not going to lie, it's fits and starts and it was hard and it still is. Um, my writing got completely derailed for the last two months because dad's birthday happened. 
And so that just kind of threw everything right for a complete loop. So, you know, um, does it mean that the urge goes away? No, not for me, but the ability to, to actually put either pen to paper or my fingers on the keys and come up with something that doesn't look like a um, Dick and Jane book was gone for a while. So when it comes to grief, you just had to give yourself time. I mean, mm-hmm. um, cause your mind, cause, cause it's very consuming. Any kind of like emotional stress uh, mm-hmm. is, is going to impact your ability to be creative. And some people actually dig deep and write a lot. Um, or they paint or they just, they just dig deep into their creativity and they hide in it and others skew away from it. Um, and I think it's important to know which one you are and to know where, um, where it's healthy and when it stops being healthy. Yeah. And then you need to figure out what coping mechanisms you have in your toolbox, um, to get you back on the train. Now, my nuclear event was nowhere near as painful or as stressful as lady holders. Um, but I was triggered. That That is the absolute truth. I was triggered. Um, and I don't actually use that word lightly. A lot of people use it like, you know, like they think that, um, being grossed out or disgusted by something or uncomfortable with something equals a trigger. It does not. Um, being uncomfortable does not equal triggered. (laughs) <laughs> just just to let you know, <laughs> you know mm. but I was le- legitimately triggered I was bullied as a child excessively um, I was I was always the new kid I went from one school to another um, um, my, my parents classified work as the working poor uh, my clothes were hand-me-downs they were never all that fashionable my shoes came from Walmart and I went to schools where that um, stood out, you know, and I was mistreated for it excessively to the point that when I was 12 years old, I considered suicide for the first time considered as in, I had a bottle of pills in my hand and um, I'll I'll talk about it in another podcast. I don't want to upset anybody. So I want you guys to be warned in advance of what that, goes into but i will say that my first book saved my life you know your mother needs flowers (laughs) um but i was triggered um because it it brought back a lot of um pain i dealt with as a kid um about being bullied and being um just treated like i wasn't a person Mm -hmm. like i didn't have feelings I mean, it was just, it was overwhelming in that moment. And I was recently in an email accused of having a knee-jerk reaction. And I did, but not the one they expect. Not not the one they suspect, because they thought that my knee-jerk reaction was removing all my excerpts from Evil Author Day. And no, it was not. That was considered. That was very considered. I made a very precise choice with that. Mm-hmm. Um. And, uh, so that was not, I I did have one, but that wasn't it. And removing myself, um, from situations that 
hurt me when I was little, when I was bullied, it, that was what I did. I removed myself. I didn't go to lunch. I went to the library. I skipped gym class as much as possible. <laughs> I skipped class. I, I yeah. skipped any situation where there wasn't a lot of structure to protect me. Mm -hmm. Because kids suck. Kids oh, yeah. See, I, I was the new kid in a lot of places, but I was also one of the biggest children. Mm, I was not. I mean, I'm five three as an adult, so just imagine yeah. me as a kid. Um, I'm five foot ten, and I hit my growth pretty pretty early on. So, I was bigger, stronger, and I had less of a give a fuck, and I enforced it a couple times, and that left made people leave me alone, and it worked. Uh, in in high school, my high school was better. I, I moved to a new school district. I was in a new school. Um, I made a friend the first day and she was actually a very tall girl. <laughs> She's ever been six foot. And um, uh, she, uh, she, she said the first time she met me, she says, Oh, you're, you're going to get lost in the halls. You're just, you're just going to mm -hmm. hold on to my shirt. because <laughs> mm -hmm. We had the same schedule. <laughs> she says, I'll lose you. You're too little. Picking we're friends to probably this day. Not, yeah, picking you up probably would not have gone gone over well, but I'm pretty sure she looked at you and contemplated it. Put she wanted to put me in her pocket. Um, she actually told me that one. She wanted to walk. put me in her pocket. Um, mm -hmm. but high school was better. Middle school was was the worst, the absolute worst for me. Mm -hmm. Um, so when that situation went down in the in the Harry Potter fandom, when I was at, the first screenshots I got were just annoying. But then I got 50 more. Literally. Um, and each one was... I had to go find that bullshit. More and horrible than the second. I mean, it was just like, it yes. was just, it piled on. And I did have a deeply... I, I was psychologically triggered in such a way that I had to get up and leave my computer and walk away. And it... So it's different circumstance because it reduced me to a 12 year old for a moment, for just a moment. Um, I had to regroup because I had not, I had not experienced that level of objective objectivity. I mean, it was just not, that's not the right word. I, I felt objectified and in the most base way. I mean, I, I hadn't felt that way in decades. And I was like, what, you what, what is this? Where did this come from? You went from human to a target. Right. And it was really, really, really bizarre. And yes. I just, anyways, so for me, um, my reboot was to take all of the projects I associated with that event off my plate. I literally moved them out of my works in progress and put them in another folder separate that I don't have to look at unless I purposely look at search for it. Don't say they blame you for that. And so, and then I started looking at, um, I started looking around for something to do with myself. And so I picked up my fluff bingo card. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to Thanks. I'm, I'm going to go through and write some short stories to kind of get my juices flowing for April. Um, so that's what I did. Um, and I'm still getting emails about the whole Harmony situation, which is not helpful. No, it's bullshit. Um, 
I have filtered more people into the trash mm -hmm. this last month and a half than I have that I ever have in my life as in, in fandom. Jesus. Because, honestly, if there's a fandom more entitled and abusive and rude and demanding than Harry Potter, I don't know what it is. And honestly, sure, I don't Sentinel? want to know. What? Sir, uh, the Sentinel fandom? No, not even. Damn, that's a, that's that's pretty bad. But the thing about the Sentinel issue, when that went down, it was all done in private. Yeah, that was also bullshit, but whatever. I mean, it was like, um, I felt like it was just one or two people being assholes. Well, they were good at it. Very good at it. But it wasn't like seeing a hundred plus people dogpile on me. Mm. Yeah. For having a boundary. And that number is not an exaggeration. No, it was not. <laughs> It's so you know, um, resetting is is different for different people. I mean, sometimes you just need to take a break from your writing, um, do some reading, listen to some music, play some games. Um, I'm not getting into your farming game, FYI. <sighs> Lady Holder, <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um. It's only been asked for me, after me to do that for the last 10 years. <laughs> Jilly will give me bananas. I don't need you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you realize I got into that, the last farming game because of you and I, I fell out of it because I was just done with it. Rural story's a bitch. <laughs> Not my fault. But the, the, the wank, the wank in Harry Potter is unreal. And so, you know, I kind of like dipped my toe back into it with a Harry Draco story. And honestly, as, as much as I enjoyed that story, Afternoon Tea, um, I enjoyed writing it and I especially enjoyed the character of Lynx. Um, it didn't, it, it, it wasn't helpful to write. Well, that sucks, but you know what? As much as I love your, your, Harry Potter, Draco Malfoy stuff, and make no lie, I dearly love it. I'm not going to ask you to do it. You know, it's, you have to write whatever makes you happy, and if it doesn't make you happy, don't fucking write it. You know, there's tons of other things that you will, you write that I'll <sighs> read, up to and including Hannibal. <laughs> you know, so yeah, whatever. Um, Edie, I don't. Edie, remind me after the podcast, and I'll look for that game because I don't actually remember what it what it was, and it's not currently on my fire. I thought it was, but I don't see it. So remind me later. I know I played it on my fire, so I know that. It, it should be I can't remember Jilly played it too. But Lady Holder plays a find object game on Facebook. Yeah, I play Criminal Case. Um, 
criminal you case. Know, there's nothing right. There, there's nothing wrong with leaning into Hannibal. We had a whole podcast about it. Okay, so Bibbidi, um, I think that if you're having a, a nuclear moment and you're getting ready to to reset, um, just uh, find find your comfort zone, whatever it may be. I mean, it's important to to, to define um, your boundaries around that. Um, and uh, some people have retreated fully from fandom and, and never came back. And I think that that it makes it it makes fandom less lesser which is what the wild hair project is about because mm -hmm. if you're not comfortable posting on your own site or you're not comfortable posting on ao3 um you can drop your word babies on wild, the wild hair project and i will protect them like they're my own <laughs> and, you know that's that's something that that i do want to say is you know if you if you're worried that somebody is going to be you know super bitchy at you because you haven't written in a while because you have, you know, retreated and this is, you know, your first Fourier back into writing in months or even years, go for the wild hair, you know, go, go back in there, you know, put your toe back in the water if that's what you want to do and you want to do it safely and carefully in some place that you know is going to be moderated and you know that we're going to keep an eye on you. If you feel like you want to, you know, dive into the, medium level of the pool and go for um rough trade we'll do the same thing we're moderated we're not going to let people at you um and not control what's said okay you you have people in your um in your corner making sure that your reintroduction to fandom isn't going to be a horror show and the thing about writing on the Wild Hair Project is that you have as much interaction with the readers as you want, which can be zero. Mm -hmm. You never have to respond to comments. In fact, I recommend that you don't. We don't allow questions as a rule because I don't... Fuck that. <laughs> Just Yeah, those delete. got disabled ages ago. <laughs> delete. <laughs> I don't mm -hmm. care. I I have zero fucks to give on on that subject, and um, and it's not because we're trying to be elitist bitches or anything. Look, the but the, you can comment when if you want to. I don't care. Yeah, me either. Um, the thing with with questions is, these are authors who are putting up their work. They're they're taking their time out doing this. It is not for you to sit there and you know, rake them over the coals so that way your period interest could be, you know, served. No, this is their space, not yours as the reader. And soapbox. <laughs> I, I do get flack, Fairy, for um, both uh, Wild Hair Project and Rough Trade when it comes to my comment policy and um, my interaction policy. Um, I said once on a podcast that writers are encouraged um, to uh, not uh, engage with their readers um, on Rough Trade. Um, and I had a reader email me furious because she expected to be to be able to interact with the, with the writers on Rough Trade. And I was like, no. No, and fuck you. Uh-huh. Which is how that GYF got put on rough trade, by the way. Mm -hmm. Hashtag go fuck yourself. That that's why that ended up there because of that comment. Um, 
it's like uh, the thing is, is what's what about Rough Trade and the Wild Hair Project that makes them unique in fandom is that neither one of those spaces were created for readers. Any other archive you put your, I mean, any other fandom space that you're in that you create content for, whether it be AO3 or fanfiction.net or, you know, like archive like Wraithbait or whatever, you know, these are spaces created for readers. They are geared towards reader participation and satisfaction. And tools to help authors on AO3 came very much after the fact they came after a lot of shit readers got ebook downloads before authors got the right to disable comments on their own fic mm -hmm. or it's just like to moderate comments on their own fic which i don't think you can do it all on fanfiction.net and i'm not downing these archives because i they um ao3 is the backbone of fandom it is now yeah and I, for, for what they do, I, I wish them well. Um, like I told that asshole who emailed me when I retire, I'm going to dump all my fic on AO3. <laughs> Just saying. You, you know. And the thing is, is that fanfiction.net is a, is a money-making operation because of ads. Mm -hmm. So when you put your fanfiction on fanfiction.net, you are making money for whoever owns that company. And it's full of commenters who, who bully writers. It's just, it's, these are reader-centric spaces. And so readers in these spaces expect um, interaction. They expect their opinion to be valued. Uh, and when these, it's not. These, these spaces are geared towards their satisfaction. Yeah. But Rough Trade not. and the Wild Hair Project are not. No. And it's not going to be either. Never. And a lot, there are many readers in fandom who find that offensive as fuck. And mm -hmm. I don't care. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's, you know, that, that's what it boils down to is that reader entitlement um, is a very ugly thing. One of the funniest emails I've gotten in like fucking for, oh my God. Oh my God. I have to go find this. Hold on. I won't, I won't read who sent it to me. But you guys have got to. I'm gonna share it. I can't. I can't help myself. And um, the person who sent me this email actually listens to the podcast, and oh, I'm Jesus. not even sorry for what I'm about to do. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Are they gonna freak out? I'm gonna skip. So I'm gonna skip most. Of, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna skip the front part of this email. Okay, Ron Weasley is my favorite character. Oh Jesus Christ! No, I'm not here to start shit. One thing I have found is that if my passion for a story or a character is strong, I will start writing and I won't be able to stop. I realize that I am very passionate about defending Ron Weasley. I came across your podcast on Spotify. They, they misspelled Spotify. Called Fandom Harry Potter, released May. 5th, 2014, as well as Short and Junk Bad Weezies released August 18, 2015. I took a number of notes. Oh, Senna, it gets worse. I will not oh, lie. Some of the things you said did make me very upset. What I wanted to let you know is that I would like to write a response essay where I go through the main points that you brought up and explain my slash Ron's side. 
I understand these were posted five to six years ago. This is why I'm emailing you. Do your opinions of Ron still stand the same? In my essay, I will not attack your ability of writing because I know that it's nothing to do with this. I will comment on how I view some of your statements to be very hypocritical. I'll be real and I'll swear not at you, but at some of the statements you make and how I have found not found any proof in the, the books of this. I will respond with many, with capital letters, many um, book quotes on how loyal he is. I'm not writing this to change your opinion. I just want to know, have your opinions changed? Do you still stand by everything you said about Ron in these podcasts? I'm going to write this, not for you, not for your followers, but for myself and for other members of the Ron Weasley Defense Squad. I tried my best not to offend you in this email, and I would appreciate it if you would respond the same way. For the record, sweetheart, nothing about your email offended me. I have rarely laughed so hard in my life, and I want to thank you because I got this email in the midst of a landslide of terrible, disgusting emails about me bowing out of the harmony pairing for the foreseeable future um so your email <laughs> was a breath of fresh air i can't even i was thank you thank you so fucking much <laughs> yeah okay i did respond and I won't tell, I won't, I won't I won't read the whole email to you but what I said finally was one of my goals in daily living is to encourage new writers in their craft. I hope you learn to respect the boundaries of other writers and that you continue to write and grow into the art of the written word. That's about as sweet as and as wonderful as that person um is going to get. The Christ I did tell her, though, that if my interpretation of Ron Weasley offended her, that she should not read my work or listen to my podcast. Because for the record, honey, he's mm. a piece of shit. <laughs> and I hate him. The <laughs> <laughs> Ron Weasley. <laughs> Defense squad. I mean, it was... Oh, my God. I have rarely laughed so hard in my life. I mean, I was like, is she being sincere or is she trolling me? <laughs> I still don't I, know. But I laughed until I cried. I honestly remember staring at my screen going, what the fuck? And I don't I sent them screenshots of, uh, because I can't help myself. Because if you send me email, it's fodder. I'm, I'm just saying. And the thing is, is I'm not, I don't remember if that was, I saw that when I was at work or not, but I know I really wanted something alcoholic to help make that make more sense. <laughs> it was just, honestly, it was really a breath of fresh air in, in the midst of that terrible week because it was just like, the, I just can't, the Ron Weasley defense squad. I, I can't even, uh -huh. I can't. Sin, I think you were drunk the first time you read that. <laughs> mm. <laughs> in my essay. <laughs> in this essay, I will. And it's like, oh my God. I mean, it does bring home the fact that because I have syndicated my podcast, that there are people out there listening to my podcast that honestly probably shouldn't. <laughs> Hold, please. <laughs> 
That's the best part in a galaxy quest. Along with, <laughs> we have to get out of here before one of those things kills Guy. <laughs> I have one job on this stupid ship. <laughs> and I'm going I'm to gonna do, do it. it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Computer. Oh my God. Anyways, so yeah, that happened. It doesn't yes. have any vulnerable spots. Oh, anyway, that <laughs> happened. I, I just, I'm going to skip the Sentinel question because we have another Sentinel podcast coming up. That is a request for a podcast. Okay, Rogue asks, is Rogue still here? I'm sorry if you're not. Uh, My eye's burning. <laughs> hey, Rogue. Made me laugh. Okay. Um, so for a quantum bang, how many times should you move the ending? Jesus Christ. What the- <laughs> Superstar, even what the hell? <laughs> because I know it has to end, especially knowing that there's going to be a part two. Okay, honey, honey, sugar bear, <laughs> darling, dearest, light of my life, joy of my existence, empress of my universe, <laughs> fruit of my loom. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, seriously though, um, explain yourself, baby. I, don't, I mean, the fruit of my loom. That was awesome. <laughs> I had no comeback for that. I mean, it was just like you just, you won. Um, <laughs> you're welcome. When, okay, you're, you're a pantser, right, baby? Okay, <laughs> so, um, for me, when when I uh, when I structure my story, yeah, she said loom, like fruit of loom, like the yeah, underwear, like fruit of the loom underwear. Um, I I go into my zero draft knowing where I'm going to end, and usually it's precariously co- close to a wily coyote falling action moment. <laughs> And I don't, I don't know why I do that to myself or to my readers, but I often do have basically a Wiley Coyote moment where there's like this, like there's the, the climax and then this falling action, like off a fucking cliff. And then the and only rarely are, is there that, that pause at the end where he sticks the sign up and goes, oh shit. And- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he definitely has like, fuck me. <laughs> and then there's this loud kaboom. This earth-shattering kaboom. So, what you need to do, Rogue, I when you look at look at the structure of uh, what might have no, I don't think that's a good choice. Look at Lantian Legacy. I I started yeah. Lantian Legacy in a moment of um, deep change. They come back to the city with a ZPM. Um. Installing that ZPM wakes up Allie and suddenly their circumstances are so different. They go from being on the cusp of being um, destroyed to having um, the means to defend themselves from the wraith that are coming for them. And it is, it is life-changing. And it also because of what she offers them after the uh, attack is over, uh, it's life altering. And I ended that episode or that novel, that, that novel with the arrival of um, the ships and them leaving 
that planet. Another moment of immense change. And this moment is hopeful. Mm -hmm. So you want to um, leave your reader in a place that is hopeful. Um, where there are no, where you can leave a few dangling pieces for your, for your next one, but don't leave so many dangling that your reader goes, what the fuck? Because there's nothing honestly worse than a, than a, than a, than a cliffhanger in, um, in a novel series. You can have a fucking cliffhanger in a chapter, like one, you get one, you get one mm -hmm. fucking cliffhanger in your whole book. So you so use it wisely, motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah. But I'm don't end your book on a cliffhanger. It is, it is an atrocity. What's wrong with people? Now, I'm not saying you do that, Rogue. I'm just saying, you know, you want to yeah, end it in, in a very hopeful place. Um, where gonna... there's a transition, um, either uh, if you're going to do a time skip, that'd be an excellent place to end. Because I began the second book. So having that time skip uh, was a good place to stop. So mm -hmm. it was hopeful and um, exciting. They'd gone through all these changes and they had made the decision to tell Earth to fuck off if Earth ever bothered to come check on them. <laughs> you, there, there was a resolution to the, the main thrust of the action, which was they had to make the decision, were they going to stay or were they going to go? Yeah. And that's... Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh my God. Kid. Childy. Um, <laughs> I can't. What did you do? Uh, <laughs> what I was going to say is I actually did something kind of similar to that because the, the biggest series that I have that actually has a, that is a series is um, the one I titled Choosing Home, which is the slow slate of indifference and uncomplicated choice. Um, and slow slide ends where they basically go out into the black and they sit there, they settle into place Uncomplicated choice picks up, um, not very long thereafter, but it's still a, it's still a pickup. Things change a little bit. They're in a different spot. And I closed out slow slide of indifference where I did because it, it, that was the end of what they were trying to do throughout that whole story, which is to, to, to leave the planet they were on and make their own decisions. So. <laughs> you still there? Kira. I was typing. Sorry. Um, okay. I was saving that. Remember y'all when I had that incident a couple of months back where I did two parts and I only saved one. Uh -huh. Well, I learned my lesson, so I was saving the first part so I could put them together later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. um, in my essay. I mean, honestly, at probably at any other point, it would have infuriated me to get that email because it's just ridiculous. Uh -huh. But it, it was just like, it was just the funniest thing. It just caught me and it was just so funny in my essay. I, I, They're going to swear in their essay, but not at me. <laughs> I honestly just was completely flabbergasted. <laughs> Ron Weasley's loyal. That is honestly the Tell last the... thing he is. 
he, wait, now, wait a second. Ron shows extreme loyalty to, to one certain thing. Food? Yes. <laughs> His stomach. <laughs> His stomach. I mean, honestly, if she was trolling me, she never responded. I mean, honestly, but I did tell her I wasn't interested in her opinion. So that could be why she didn't continue to, to uh, interact with me. Gee. Maybe I made a mistake. We're heartbroken. <laughs> no, I didn't. Not dog. Mm -mm. No. <laughs> nope, nope. Oh, <laughs> oh, Liz. Oh, Liz, if you did, I, I absolutely need that link. Okay. Um, oh, God. Um, so I answered that question. We skipped that one. <sighs> oh, honey, are you in the chat? You are not in the chat. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to murder your name. I'm th I, th I think I'm going to murder your name, and I'm so sorry. Um, Mahari, what do you think, Mahari? I don't there's know. a there's an accent on the A. Mahari. I think Mahari. Mahari. Okay. How would you define the term fandom unicorn, and what does it mean to you? I think that. The f your fandom unicorn is defined by the character you are most drawn to in any particular fandom. Like this is your favorite character. Um, I would say that my fandom unicorn in um, Harry Potter is Hermione Granger. Mm -hmm. um, my fandom unicorn in Stargate is Rodney McKay. Yes. Do you do you see a theme? Um, my fandom unicorn in um, NCIS would be Tony Dinozo. Totally. Um, I think my fandom unicorn in The Hobbit is probably my Rule 63 Bella. Yeah. Doesn't surprise me. So it's just that character that you really identify with and like. In the mm -hmm. MCU, my unicorn is most 100% Tony Stark. Mm -hmm. I will actually never watch another Avengers movie again. I'm done. Thank you. Next. <laughs> Now, Lady Holder, Draco Malfoy is definitely her fandom unicorn in Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. Can't stand um, him. And it, he's he's a little sh uh, absolute shit in the books. No lie. Um, and he's like a little asshole. But yes. we talked about it in the podcast. I'm not sure if you were actually here. I think you might have been in bed. Um, mm -hmm. About how Ron is a bully and Draco Malfoy is just a little asshole. I yes. mean. <laughs> There's a difference between the two. Right, there is. Um, for um, for Stargate, it's I think it's John for me more than anything. I was gonna say it's John Shepard, and for SG One, it's Daniel Jackson. Yes, although I actually do tend to write more Jack. That's because Jack loves Daniel Jackson. <laughs> that too. <laughs> Which is why I tend to write a lot of John because John loves Rodney. Uh -huh. <laughs> Just yeah. like me, but um, what I would also say this is a this is a thing. This is a thing that happened, um, because Daniel Jackson is Lady Holder's unicorn. I don't treat him like I would if left to my own devices, because I can't fucking stand Daniel Jackson. I hate him, but I don't bash him because of Lady Holder, because it, it, it because he's her unicorn. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, 
That's what that, that, that's what best friends do. They don't bash their their best friend's unicorn. Oh. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that you know. Well, actually, at this point, I'm not entirely certain who your unicorn is in the Hannibal fandom between uh, Hannibal and Will. I honestly think they actually form a unicorn for you called the Hanagram, and you're just done with it. <laughs> actually, actually, I'm going to go on record and say that Hannibal is my unicorn. In okay. <laughs> <laughs> and of um, course, in any fandom where Michael Bean appears, he is my unicorn. <laughs> yes. That I'll agree with right there. Um, let's see. I'm taking a quick gander out. Who else I, I write in? Um, I don't actually, I've never actually watched Magnificent Seven, but I need to so I can read the mm -hmm. fandom because I feel like I'm missing out on some deep Michael B. in action. Probably. I haven't actually read or watched the, the one he was in either. Is it on Netflix? Fuck, I don't know. It's a movie. Is it on Netflix, Vudu, Prime, Amazon? Is it on Amazon Prime? <gasps> I will watch it. I need hmm. a new fandom. Great. Like, like I need a hole in the head. <laughs> but, and then I will need links after mm -hmm. I watch it. NCIS. Yeah, the Magnificent Seven. No. Yeah. Uh, NCIS um, is Tony. Oh, absolutely. I think I think basically any NCIS writer, if their mm -hmm. unicorn isn't Tony Genozo, I don't want to talk to them. <laughs> Pretty much. And uh, Avengers is Tony. Um, Hobbit is Bilbo. Bilbo Although, is definitely Jilly's unicorn as well. Mm -hmm. To the point oh, where she can't even read my female Bilbo because it because it upsets her. <laughs> okay, I'll read them both. I'm really happy when you do either. I mean, come on. Um. I mean, hell, I unfortunately allowed um, Thorne to stay dead in my my biggest <sighs> Hobbit thing. I'm sorry. I, it, girl, every time I read that, I get mad at you. <laughs> Just like, why? Why are you doing this, you terrible person? Well, sorry. It's terrible. It's great. It's a great story. It's, mm -hmm. it's terrible. It, ma it, it made me cry. I was like, you have her? <laughs> what have you done? Well, let me put it this way. As I'm as I'm thinking about it sitting here now, I'm realizing that I could fuck with this whole thing and just do something interesting, but I don't know if I will. Cuz they got they got returned to the stone, remember? Yeah. Yeah, so we'll see how that goes. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I like the Durans to live. It, it's just a thing. Um honestly, in the like if I'm not writing rule 63, if mm -hmm. I'm writing just Bilbo and, th you know, Bilbo, I like Bilbo as a character. But if I'm writing a Bilbo Thorin fic, then Thorin's my unicorn. True. I mean, hell, I did um, the one I did with Lessons. That is totally from Thorin's point of view. And in that, he is most especially the unicorn. But the unicorn basically is just that one character that you really connect with mm -hmm. um, as a reader and as a writer. And um, if you're watching them on the screen, they're 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 really they really catch your attention and, and keep you um, invested in their in mm -hmm. their arc and their character and in their in their moments. So that's that's so that's what a fan of unicorn is to me. Yes. Okay, Ellie, you bring in the real questions. Maybe we should start at the bottom. <laughs> okay, anyway, 
For first-timers, as well as those who are stressing out right now due to current events, how do you handle the stress of writing and challenge, techniques for keeping focus, etc.? I think one of the biggest tools we have um, this time around coming into Rough Trade is an established um, writing server where we have um, um, sprints. Um, and there are writing sprints practically every day over there. If, mm -hmm. if you can write for 20 minutes here and 20 minutes there, I mean, if you can pull 1K a day in writing sprints, and my average writing sprint is between five and 600 words um, in 20 minutes. So two writing sprints is is my daily total for rough trade if you're, if, if you're writing um, th 30K next month. Um I think writing sprints are actually really helpful if you're doing it by yourself or if you're doing it on the server um, because it gives you uh, discipline and it also gives you a sense of accomplishment. Okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write for 20 minutes. This is all I'm going to do. I'm going to write for 20 minutes and then I'm going to get up and do something else. And then you go do whatever you're going to do. Like we did some spring cleaning <laughs> sprints mm -hmm. earlier where they wrote for we, we we wrote for 30 minutes and then we got up and went and did other things for 30 minutes. Like we cleaned out a closet or we put some dishes in the dishwasher or whatever, you know, like did the laundry. Um, I wrote 9,000 words that day. And it didn't even feel like it because I was taking breaks. So I didn't have that fatigue, that physical and mental fatigue that you get from writing for that long. Because we wrote all day. And we talked earlier in the year about how um, action precedes um, motivation. That the more you do, the more you'll want to do. Um, and that uh, and the inspiration finds you working. And if you're not writing, inspiration can't find you to help you. So I think writing sprints, um, having the writing sprints in our toolbox is really beneficial for rough trade. Um, and also for the quantum bang. If, if you're still working on your quantum bang, um, doing it in writing sprints um, creates uh, a writing space for you that you've defined this space. This is what I'm going to do with this time. I'm not going to do anything else with this time. This is my writing time. And creating that boundary for yourself and for others around you um, is very beneficial. Um, one of the biggest issues I had um, early on um, moving in with my husband is that he didn't, he respected my writing, but he didn't know how to respect my writing time. Mm -hmm. And so he would interrupt me constantly. Constantly. I'm not laughing at you for that. I'm actually laughing at Senna. Um, I, I feel you on the interruption thing. You know, it's it's something that I deal with too. So. He doesn't do it anymore. If he sees me writing, he'll, he'll walk away. Sometimes well, I'll get a post-it note <laughs> stuck on my desk. It'll be like, what's for dinner? <laughs> Jesus. I am, we're, we're planning on doing a remodel of the house. So one of the things that's going to get remodeled is, um, the third bedroom that we have in the house and it's going to be turned into my office. So I'm actually going to have a door I can close. Um, admittedly, because I'm not a complete idiot. My, the door to my um, office is also going to have 
a small little pass-through for the cats because otherwise they're going to sit there and do their level best to burrow through the door to get out. Oh, bless their hearts. You're, you're going to put a cat door. <laughs> I'm going to put a cat door in. I don't blame you. I mean, because yeah. they're going to they're, they're, they're spend most of their day deciding whether they want to be in the room or out of the room. Yes, and I don't want to get up, get down, get up, get them, get up, get down. Get, uh, it's like, forget this. You know, and yes, the husband and I have emailed each other and we're in different rooms of the house, or I've texted him, or even more obnoxiously when we need to be somewhere on time, because our phones actually are the same type of phone. I can set up uh, calendar reminders for him and have them go off in his ear, basically. Telling him that we have someplace we have to be. Uh, Sahara, does that door that you have for your cats have a, a comb on it or something? Because I have a long hair. Yeah. Maybe I'll do that. But, you know, just... I know things are very stressful right now. I mean, going to even going to the damn grocery store is like 5,000 times more stressful than it used to be because you feel like everybody in the store has got a disease and they're going to kill you. This is they not do. what I expected for the zombie apocalypse. Um, there are a lot less thigh holsters, honestly. Well, the, the fashion is at least better. Yeah, maybe. maybe there are no thigh holsters. Okay, so we don't have thigh holsters. You know, there there are things that can be done here. I mean, I I appreciate the PJ life. I do. I embrace the PJ life. Yes, I'm just saying. Do. Anyways, um, it's very stressful. So you need to figure out how to manage your stress, and that is individual. I mean, what works for me might not work for you. What works for me actually is to put my headphones on. Whether mm -hmm. I'm actually listening to music or not, put my headphones on. It creates a a space of me saying I should be writing. I should be writing. So, and then defining my writing time, saying I'm going to write on write at this time and this time and this time during the day. Uh, keep writing a schedule. Keeping a schedule. If you're home. And you're trying to work and you're trying to write and you're trying to, and your, your dog who never sees you like during the day is like, holy shit, she's home all day. What am I going to do with her? Um, and your husband's at home and you can't call HR and complain about him. That's what my mother's for. Mine too. My mom's my, my, my HR. I've threatened to call HR on my husband six times in the past two weeks. <laughs> He's creating a hostile work environment. He expects lunch. He sexually harassed me yesterday. <laughs> did you harass him back? I did, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So now I can't follow a poor HR on that. Not that I would have because HR is my mom. So, you know. Mm -hmm. But I told him, I was like, I'm going to call HR. He's like, call your mama. <laughs> it's just, you know, so you need to figure out what works best for you. And I think creating a schedule during this time where you're isolating at home and um, you have all this unstructured time that you're not used to having. If you're not someone who works from home, I work from home from a decade. So I have a schedule. I do um, this, this, and this when I get up, I check my email. I check my other email. I check my other email. <laughs> mm -hmm. I um, check to make sure all my sites that I maintain are up and functional. Um, 
and there are a lot of them actually, uh, not just fandom ones. Mm -hmm. So I have to do all these things in my task list. And then, you know, do I have anything for my job that I have to do? Um, am I doing this, this, and this? So having a schedule that I, that I am maintaining, um, gets me through my day every day and has for the past 10 years. Hmm. We're about, uh, my, my, um, my company is about ready to let some of my department work from home and it's a specific job that we're going to be doing. And the thing is, is what we're probably going to end up having, and it hasn't been confirmed yet, is basically a do, you know, this many of something, you know, um, in, in the, the eight hours that you're allotted for your, your time. And unless they tell me I can do overtime, I'm going to do eight hours. I know what I, I have my time when I have to wake up and I have to, you know, end my day and I'm going to do that. And I'm just going to, yeah, you know, thankfully the commute is 20 feet. I mean, the, the commute is not bad when you work from home, but no. you do have to create a schedule for yourself and you have to really follow it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise procrastination is your enemy when you're working at home. So mm -hmm. just, you know, and don't let anybody tell you that you don't have to follow a schedule. Um, you're not you're not actually working. You can do this. No, no, I can't because I'm working. Yeah. And you need to police this boundary like mm -hmm. a motherfucker. It is important. It, it will keep you on task. It will keep you um, honestly from from having a depressive episode. Even if you're not prone to depression, staying in your house all the time and not getting dressed, not taking a shower. <laughs> you can you can fall into this this funk. Um mm -hmm. and, and 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 it's it's not a healthy place. No. You need to brush your teeth. Yeah, you need to brush your teeth, take a shower, put on, you know, you don't have to put on real clothes. You can put on some pajamas, put on some fresh pajamas. Go outside, walk your dog. You can't walk your cat. Pet your pet. Uh, pet your cat. Well, so some people can walk their cats, but most cats are not walkable. Um, so you can pet not your cat. You want to use them to, to, you know, mop up stuff off the floor because they're furry. <laughs> walk your potted plant. Talk to your plant. Don't water your plant every mm -hmm. day because you'll drown it and it will die. Mm -hmm. Um, talk to your fish. Whatever you know, but take. Look at your mail. Get. A schedule and stick with it. It is super important, you guys. I promise. Um, don't treat this like a never-ending vacation because it will um, depress the fuck out of you. And you need to watch your vitamin D and your vitamin C intake. You need to get some sun. Um, take your supplements. Uh, because working from home, if you don't do this, you're going to fall into a funk and spend, you know, eight months in, a, in, in bed. I'm just saying. You spent a month and I almost freaked out. Actually, no. There well, that was only. because I thought I had cancer. Give me a break. I did give you a break. I did not. Well, let me rephrase that. The only reason I did not call your house is I couldn't find you. <laughs> okay. Now that she can call my house. So. Yeah. No, I can call your cell phone. I, you no longer have a house phone. This is true. It was really weird unplugging, actually. Yes. Okay, Kedra asked, how do you define your plot points? That is a jilly question. <laughs> because I don't. Um, I sit down and I, 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 I 
zero draft. Um, and it probably looks very much like someone pantsing, actually, because I guess that's where I pants. That's where I put all my mm -hmm. shit together that, that I've been thinking about or not thinking about. And then I go back through and I add parts and take things out. Um, and a plot point can be anything from John and Rodney take a jumper to the mainland to Rodney kills a wraith. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so, you know, your plot points, um, for me, my, my plot points are events, consequences, and reactions. Or events, reactions, consequences. So, um, if you're doing like an event plot, it would just be a list of events. The closest thing I get is that list of, of what I want, wanted out of it, the emotional reactions I wanted out of the, uh, the whole so thing. So, Lady Holder actually just plots internal consequences. Mm -hmm. All the external stuff is stuff I already know I'm going to get to. It's, it's I know what I'm going into with what I've chosen for the story. You know, um, I suppose I should lay it out for, for what I want. Uh, for this upcoming April, but actually, if you, weirdly, if you go look at what I did for the summary, it's basically there. <laughs> then, then you're done. You're ready to go. Yeah, pretty much. You're ready. Um, writing, Susan asks, um, writing through the climax scene. Recently, I've been having problems writing significant moments. I can write up to it and then the aftermath, but the actual important moment or event or action, just no. Sometimes I can tell why. Usually, I've goofed up somewhere leading up to it. And sometimes I just can't. Are you in the chat? You were earlier. Okay. Um, can you give me an explicit example? Cause you're not talking about writing the climax of your story and then falling action. Are you, you're talking about like having a up moment in a scene. She's writing a book. <laughs> yeah, she's good at that. She does well. Okay. Are you plotting? Or are you a pantser? Okay, hardcore pantser. Okay, you're fizzling. You got 20k in and you fizzled. Because you didn't have a plan. Now, I'm not saying you have to plot. um, Because not, that's not part of everybody's process. Everybody's process is, is different. But you need to inject something into your process. So that you don't do this. So you don't fizzle. Um, whether that's like a... Um, like a mini plot. Or um, perhaps writing a uh, paragraph for each arc, like the beginning, the middle, and the end, like before you start writing. So you know what you want your beginning to be, and you want you know what you want your middle to be, and you know where you're going to end up. So you don't fizzle. Okay. I, in the paranormal challenge um, on Rough Trade, I tried to write a shifter fic with ABO elements. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why I tried to do that to myself, but I did. I thought that I could pull the ABO apart. You yeah, you were fascinated with it at the time. Well, I wanted to write something consensual. And it just mm -hmm. like, but I took elements of the ABO concept that just did not work for me. And I, I stumbled hardcore mm -hmm. because I I hit a I hit a moment where I realized that what I was writing um would not and could not equal consent uh continuous consent which is a big issue for me 
consent. Um, and I didn't know where I was going till I got there. And then I was like, oh, well, fuck me. I'm done. I can't, I can't, I can't. Mm -hmm. And so my whole plot just fell apart. And I had a whole big plot. I mean, I had a whole goddamn zero draft. Something like 80 plot points. I was ready to go. And then I stumbled into an issue that I had a blind spot for when I plotted. In synthetic, mm -hmm. I realized that I was actually throwing a very thin veneer of fandom over original characters. I changed so much about my characters that they were no longer a fan. They were just characters that had fandom names. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, once I realized what I was doing, um, the idea fell apart. So you plotted. You wrote your scenes. And you get to this one scene. And you stumbled. You tried skipping it. And it didn't work. So there is an element in this scene that does not work. So look at this scene. What happens in the scene, what is supposed to happen in the scene, and what didn't happen in the scene when you stopped? Who's in the scene? Is every character in the scene supposed to be there? And the big one, are you writing in the right POV? Because POV is everything. I, um, there's a scene in what might have been where Rodney. Where John, it it's the it's the episode the episode where Rodney um is sexually harassed by uh, that guy that come into the mountain, mm -hmm. um and John kicked his ass and Rodney is packing, and I originally tried to write that scene from Rodney's point of view, and it fell so flat and it felt cold and weird, and so I backed up and I deleted it and then I wrote it from John's point of view. John coming back to their quarters and seeing Rodney packing and thinking that Rodney is leaving him. And it brought this emotional context to the scene that was missing the first time I tried to write it. And all that came from the POV change. Now, it could be that the idea that you have fizzled because it's no longer inspirational to you. Or it could be that you have a technical issue here. Whether it be POV, there are too many characters in the scene, the wrong characters are in the scene. You need somebody that isn't there. Or you place this moment in the wrong spot. Have you tried taking the scene out completely and continuing to write? Because maybe it's just in the wrong place and it's throwing you off. Should it have happened sooner? You say it's pivotal to the story. Okay, so, um, honey, do you are you claustrophobic? Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> because I honestly would have a great deal of difficulty writing a scene, digging a man up who'd been buried alive. Actually, my my thing is is whose point of view is this from? Is it from his point of view? where he's hearing people come for him or is it um, from the point of view of the person who's doing the digging? And I think we just would as right the hell out. Yep. That's so. <sighs> Sorry as 
So the person um, who figured it out where he is. So that's your POV character. Is the person who figured it out. They're going to rescue him. Um, is this the only POV character you've got? Because POV could be your problem. If, if, if you're not having a psychological over the buried alive part, which honestly, I had claustrophobia when I was younger um, and I did behavioral modification therapy to, to get through it. Mm -hmm. um, well, if you only have one character the whole time, it will be jarring to switch. Mm -hmm. So, what could be interesting, how long has this character been buried alive? And I as sorry about the turn. Oh, um, how long has this character been buried alive? Less than two hours. Okay, so what if you backed up in your narrative and started inserting scenes from the buried alive character's point of view? Small scenes mm -hmm. here and there to up uh, to let, to let the reader know number one that he's alive. And number two, to define his circumstances for the reader um, outside of your main POV character. And then when it gets to the rescue, write it from his point of view. Have you ever watched um, CSI? Okay. There's an episode of CSI where Nick is buried yeah. alive. It is honestly one of the best episodes of CSI that I ever watched. When he pulled that gun, I was like, don't do it. Don't do it. Oh, my God. Don't do it. <laughs> Warwick is saying, you don't do it. Both. Nikki, don't do it. And we were all just screaming, don't do it. He didn't do it. Um, I mean, it was great. It was an excellent episode. Um, but they they flipped it so that you had, you had scenes. Um, from Nick's POV. Yeah, from Nick's circumstances, and then from the team trying to find him. Uh, Lady Holder just gave you the episode. I'm not sure if you'll be able to find it online. I'm, I'm not even sure CSI is streaming anywhere, which is ridiculous because it should be. Mm -hmm. um, there's all yeah. There's also an episode of Bones with the Grave Digger who buries um, Temperance and um, Hodgins um, in an SUV. So it's on Hulu. Hmm. Maybe try it out. Um, but what I would suggest is that you back up and write little scenes here and there from your character's point of view that's been buried alive. And then um, when you get to the rescue, try writing it from his episode. I mean, from, from his POV. Because I think that could be your issue. I mean, honestly, as rewarding as it will be for her to, to save him and to get him out, the emotional content is him. Because he's being he's being rescued from a circumstance that he legitimately probably didn't think he would be. Um, I honestly, for emotional context and content, I would pick the coffin guy, whoever. Which is terrible. It's a terrible way to say it. But yes. um, he he's he's the focus, right? And it also um will bring the reader in. Susan's gonna tear people's heart out with this thing. Okay, mm -hmm. but. Um, yeah, everybody's looking for him and you can, you can, you can feature the father in her scenes, um, here and there. But I think that if you 
back it up and do some scenes from his point of view, like throughout your narrative, just here and there, uh, maybe at the end of chapters or the, you know, at the bulk scenes, um, that it will uh, connect your reader very intimately and very deeply to the, to Alec um, and um, who's been buried alive. And uh, when he's rescued that emotional context, um, from his POV will be very rewarding. I think. Not knowing the full context of your story. It's just, you know, from a structure point of view, adding that second POV will deepen your narrative, um, both in intimacy and just in just in storytelling. It'll be a bigger punch, if you will, in, into the feels. And that, that's honestly who I would have um, suggested to you, that you write it from. The writing the small bits, you know, interspersed, it does, it adds more, adds more drama. It adds more, more impetus for her to get, you know, for your, your, your character to find this person. And it also gives context for the switching to POV. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just got pants the penguin. <laughs> this is, uh, you know what? It's not like the dance of the penguins. It's the pantsing of the penguins. Anyhow. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think that would probably, um, it, 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 it might help. Because sometimes you need that, um, that shift. And I needed that shift in finding Atlantis, which is why Avery appeared, who Avery was not in my zero drafts. And then I had to go back and add Surprise. scenes later during my second draft. Mm -hmm. In the penguin potty. <laughs> Things have to be logical, you know. Yeah, exactly, baby. I did that in um, February song where John is missing and Rodney's falling apart. And you see, and I wanted the reader to know that John was not dead. Um, that was what those scenes were about, that John was fighting, that he was that he was trying to get loose, that he was worried about McKay. Um, and that you know, they were both deeply codependent on each other. Um, it's not very healthy. Um and that Rodney was falling apart and he was going to have his moment. And so it was about um, showing the reader that John wasn't gone. And to, and, and, and to show you where John was, because I think it was, I thought it was important to establish um, that number one, that John was not on earth. And number two, that he was um, not dead. You know, so. Oh, Liz. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just bring in the important questions. What do you do when the writer's character assassinate one of your main characters? Do you keep going with your characterization or adapt? Yeah, I'm going to go with Cinnamon on this fuck cannon. Because, like, honestly, the characterization for Tony Dinozo in NCIS is so uneven and so inconsistent that you have to pick what works for you and fuck the rest. Because that's the, the that's the heartbeat of of fan fiction, taking a character and making them your own, but keeping them recognizable from their canon circumstances. Um, so, I mean, honestly, what they did with Danny in Hawaii Five O ruined the character for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it literally ruined the character for me because um, if I have a hot button. It's cheating and adultery. And I was just like, oh, you motherfuckers. And it just, it, it ruined it. it. It ruined it. I have actually not written. I was actually, uh, that was my OTP for Hawaii Five-0. Was um, 
Danny Steve. And now I'm like, he doesn't deserve Steve. Fuck him. <laughs> I don't actually do much with Hawaii Five O. I've written the occasional mothership stuff. Very <laughs> um, all hail the mothership. Yeah, for you guys. Um, for the one who I basically say, you know, take cannon and punt it for the for the stars. Um, it's not NCIS and it's not um, uh, Stargate Atlantis or anything. It's actually Harry Potter because you've said my unicorn is Draco. Yeah. Harry Draco is a shit. And he can still be a shit in your fic. Um, oh, yeah. He just can't be a racist shit. And honestly, I think that Draco, um, even in canon, it's obvious that he's being, um, that he's manipulated by his yeah. father um, and then blackmailed. Mm -hmm. by the death eaters um and his circumstances i mean he's desperate and in the moment when harry potter needed him to be a good person the most ever in his whole life he delivered yes he did and that is 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 monumental that's i mean if you look at the actual canon that we're giving explicitly um, that's what Dumbledore saw in, in Draco. That Draco wasn't a murderer and that Draco really wasn't a Death Eater either. He's just a kid who got his family did stuff to him that it's a terrible kind of love that that his parents had for him. Um I don't think it was love. I think they well, was, I think that, their thing to mold. I think that I think that. They, the, I think Narcissa and Lucius both loved Draco in canon. I think that also that Lucius saw the writing on the wall when um, Voldemort was resurrected and he saw the only path of survival for his family would be to do exactly what the Dark Lord wanted. Mm -hmm. um, which means his son has to try to kill Dumbledore and his son has to take the dark mark and you will do everything you have to do to survive because they're Slytherin and that's what they do. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it ever occurred to, to, to Lucius to say no. And that, you know, you can, you can back it up and ask yourself um, if he inherited that mindset from Abraxas. Survival above all things. And also, um, capitulation to the dark lord well if uh canon because abraxas is in voldemort's age group yeah and i think death eater begets death eater i think that abraxas was probably a death eater as well uh -huh. and that kind of um environment i mean Draco and Lucius both are a product of of a vicious of, of a vicious and ugly, terrible legacy. So there's there's all there's it's it's very interesting to play with Draco as a character. You can do a lot with him because he's 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 a he's there's a lot of dimension there, whereas you know Ron Weasley's just a stomach with two legs. I'm gonna get another email. <laughs> I hope it's as delightful as the first one. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they'll swear at me this time. Um, Greed is what you're talking about, uh, Senna. He's just 
a redheaded version of greed. I think that he probably is most of the seven deadly sins. <laughs> um, one problem I am having, Liz, is that I wanted to write a um, Criminal Minds arc for Ties That Bind. Um, and the actions, um, and we've, we've recast the character of Aaron Hotchner because I could not write Aaron Hotchner as a dom and have Thomas Gibson in my brain because of what he did. Mm -hmm. It's remember. so, ugh. so we cast Richard Armitage and I'm, 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 I'm on board that train all the way with the beard, with, with the, the beard. beard, with the beard. Um, so sometimes the actor gets in the way and then what do you do? So the last question, the last question, nobody asked any more questions because my voice is starting to go. If you guys didn't notice, um, how do you say that? Sachi? We've discussed this before, I believe. Sachi, uh, how do you deal with it when an established canon detail detail derails your entire plot and you maybe forgot about that said detail for a good half of your story? <laughs> Let me tell you how I dealt with that. Stop laughing, lady holder, you heifer. <laughs> Let me tell you how I, I dealt. I forgot to. Sachi, Sachi, Sachi. Let me tell you how I dealt with it. Okay. Here's what happened. What had happened was... In the midst of writing Sentinels of Atlantis, where I established that the ATA gene meant you were going to be a Sentinel or a guide, I forgot. I forgot that Miko Kusanagi was a gene carrier, uh -huh. a natural one. She wasn't the only one. And my betas didn't notice. Uh -uh. None of my readers pointed it out, but it could be because they're afraid to, because I'm an asshole. I mean, you know. So, what I did was, is I had her purposefully hiding and being quite shady about it, including changing her own blood work results, to avoid the discussion because she was afraid of um, her government's reaction. And she came online during The Queen. Um, which I had to insert into that episode originally, Miko wasn't on the mission, and Taylor ends up killing the queen in the original version of that episode. But I had to rewrite it to to uh fix, fix the, the huge ass plot hole to fix my huge ass plot hole that I had created with Miko because I forgot. That she was a gene carrier. And it was really annoying. But I will say that The Queen is my favorite episode of Sentinels of Atlantis. Now. Honestly, my favorite one is the, is the last one in a lot of ways. But my favorite scenes are the ones with Patrick and Jack. <laughs> my favorite sex scene overall in Atlantis, Sentinels of Atlantis, is the one with Patrick and Jack. Yes. That was hot like burning. I was like, well, who? <laughs> Where did this come from? Oh my God. It's fabulous. Why is it so hot? <laughs> oh, Maddie and Chase. Um, that was, I was, that's not my, that, what, that wasn't the original pairing that I had picked. But when um, I wrote them the first time together in that scene, I was like, oh, well, damn. Look at that. That is some pretty, pretty, Prettiness. Pretty. Look at this. Look at this. Look how cute this is. And I was, I was like, 
and then I had to re I did I had to do some replotting just some just a little bit just a little bit of replotting um not not much um but uh sometimes like a canon thing like I one of my biggest issues coming up in Tangled Destinies is Spock Prime. Ooh. Because in canon, he comes through that wormhole in his little squiddy ship. Um, and then Iridia snatches him. And then they're going to blow up Vulcan. And I've already plotted what's going to happen with that. And I've been foreshadowing it already. Um, I foreshadowed the hell out of it with um, Jim and Jarrett talking about psychokinesis. So I hope that you guys caught that. If not, then you just did. Um, how that's going to go down. Uh in that it's not going to go down <laughs> the, the way the, the asshole Romulan thinks it is. Um, but Spock Prime remains an issue. Um, when Spock Prime time travels, James Kirk is dead in his universe. Um, there is probably a copy of him in the Nexus, maybe. I have actually seen a fic where um, AOS Jim and Spock are like, well, where's your Kirk? <laughs> we'll go get you one. And they go find the Nexus and pull a Kirk out for Spock. <laughs> so they can grow old together. <laughs> it's very cute. Um, but from the universe where Spock Prime comes from, Jim Kirk has been dead for quite a long time. Because Spock has time traveled post Next Generation. Maybe even post DS9. Post generations, yeah. It, I mean, it, it, Kirk is dead because this is. I mean, Spock was in. This was Spock trying to be the ambassador for Romulus, which happened in Next Generation. So Jim Kirk has been dead for quite a long time, and Spock's very old. Now the movie generations, Margaret, not Star Trek Next Generation. But it would be. Um, so yeah, Spock crime is a problem for me, and I don't know what to do with him. I don't want to kill him. But he is an element in the AOS that has to be addressed. Just like the Romulans have to be addressed. Just like me not destroying Vulcan has the planet of the Two-Faces. They might be Two-Faced, but they're Spock and Jim's Two-Faced planet. <laughs> and you just don't get to come over here and destroy it. Fuck you. <laughs> don't start and I won't be none. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. If, if you can tell. Yes, but, actually. But Spock Prime, what the fuck am I going to do with Spock Prime? He's going to be on that little ice planet. And Scotty won't be there because Jim and Spock prevented Scotty from, oh, Jesus Christ, transwarping the puppy, which got Scotty exiled to that planet in the in, in the original AOS. Ah, but wait a second. Here's the thing. You have, you have familial bonds in this universe. So when Spock Prime pops up, is Sarek going to notice that there's a new... Um, bond in the family. No. Why not? I mean, he would have to establish a bond with Spock. Okay, so wait a second. Remember, we're also working on that that whole universal ether shit that you know connects and binds the whole galaxy together type thing. Um. No, I mean, moments. the thing is, is Spock Prime is from a different universe. I mean, if Spock Prime could come into this universe and have a connection with Sarek, then he would also have a connection. See, this is the, this is a ripple. Damn it. 
if he could do that and establish just his presence could establish bonds, he could intrude on the relationship between Jim and Spock. And we can't have that. So his coming into the universe, yes, he can join the house of um Sirak, 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 and Sirak. um Sirak. Um he can join the house and develop familial bonds, but they can't be immediate because if they are, then he could intrude on the 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 bond that Jim and Spock have as Spock, and that would be creepy weird. So that's a consequence right. you have to pay attention to. But Spock Prime's on the ice planet. <laughs> so I mean I think that um he got off the planet by himself in the movie. I'm pretty sure he figured out a way to get out of it. That would be gross because Spock is um oh. her grandson. Yuki no. Great grandson. Great 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 nephew. Yeah. Tapal is Sarek's aunt, I believe. They're related. No, baby, no. Um, and besides Tapal already's got she's already got a man. <laughs> she's got a man's. Don't worry about it. <laughs> she don't do without. And now I just heard what a man, what a man, what a mighty fine man. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> so the one where um, Spock and um, Spock and Kirk, well, Kirk Prime lives, is called "Start Infinity Again" by Ryan, and it's on um, Ao3. Ryan R Y N N E. Start Infinity Again. Um, and then there's another one where he where they take him out of the Nexus. And I'll, I'll put these in the podcast link library for those of you who are visiting in the future. I mean, it needs to be said that Spock Prime did get off Delta Vega by himself the first time. Fuck me. There's every reason to believe that he would um, um, be able to do it again. He just stay on. Well, you know, he'll be very close to Vulcan. I think that that's well. I mean, Vulcan exploded in the movie so that he didn't get help from them. <laughs> I don't know how they got off that fucking planet. He's Spock. He handled his business. <laughs> if ever there was somebody who could take a, a paper clip and a set of, uh, uh, you know, duct, uh, duct tape and make a spaceship out of it, it's going to be Spock. Spock, actually, th there would be somebody on the planet. I mean, because that, that was an outpost for Starfleet. If it's not Scotty, it would be somebody else. Um, but Spock Prime watched the destruction of Vulcan from the surface of Delta Vega. Nero put him down on that planet so he could watch it. Because he's an asshole. Very much so. He wanted to give him a really good view. Um, but so yeah, Spock Prime remains a problem. And there's also Khan, also a problem. I don't know what to do with that. And um, I had introduced um, Carol and her sister before her father turned into a maniac in the movies. So now I don't, and I, I didn't make him a Starfleet officer. Now I have no idea what to do with that shit. I just, you know, I, I just, I think I'm just going to embrace the, the, the AU label and say, fuck all that. Might be wise. Except for Spock Prime. I'm not sure I can say fuck, fuck Spock Prime. Because that's part of how the AOS became what it is. Because Nero's intrusion into this caused a 
a splinter universe basically and that's the aos mm -hmm. and so so prime is is going to come he's he, he's part of that time loop that's going to happen right so i don't know i don't know how it's going to work out but you know i mean spot prime will be pretty close to vulcan and he will be in a starfleet outpost and you know the Starfleet Outpost can reach out and say, "Hey, I, I got no Vulcan. You know, I've got no Vulcan over here. Would you come get him?" <laughs> I don't know what to do with him. That would do it. <laughs> I mean, just you know, I've not watched the third one because the other two fucked me up so much on my plotting that I was just like, I, "What? I, what?" I actually liked the third the third one. It was uh, there was parts of it that were actually quite fun. I also liked their. You know, their take on classical music definitely made me blink. Well, there's going to be a fourth. And I guess I will watch Beyond eventually. But, mm -hmm. I mean, I was so fucked up over the first, like, um, Into Darkness. That I was like, what, what? How am I supposed to handle this and my happy fun times that I had planned? There was going to be a Betazoid wedding and some some fun times at the Academy and some hot sexy times and some pond bar. In the Betazoid wedding. <laughs> you can't forget that wedding. Now I got Khan. I can't invite Khan to the wedding. Although he does look hot naked. <laughs> yes. At least you're not choosing the multiple version of one. <laughs> right. And if I remember right, Ellie, um, just because there's beauty in all forms does not mean that Jim is not going to do his level best to freak his cousin out. <laughs> I'm gonna test you on this. But no, I mean you just I had plans, right? And Karen derailed me. Mostly Khan. Khan derailed me because um Carol's father He found the deep end and leaped straight off. Right. And he's a Starfleet officer, but he isn't entangled destinies. So he won't be around to cause all those problems in Starfleet. But Starfleet still has Khan on ice on Earth or is he still it it did that did did Admiral Marcus find the Botany Bay and bring it back to Earth? Yes. Okay, so if he's not in Starfleet, then the Botany Bay is still floating doing along. its thing. Ooh, there's a thought. Did you see what Bibbity put up? Mm. Um, well, in the original series, the Enterprise finds um, Botany Bay. Yes. In the midst of their five-year mission. Um, and it eventually comes back to bite Jim in a very horrific way. Incredibly. And then it's doubled on him because first he loses Spock and then in retrieving and in, 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 in getting Spock back, his son is murdered. So it's like Khan tried to take it's, everything. It's, it's a, I didn't want that ugly ripple in the AOS and then there it is it's just like it's, it's just lingering there so you know you, you have to have a moment where you go oh, well fuck that fuck all that I'm not even gonna no fuck it fuck you and fuck that mm -hmm. <laughs> how dare you <laughs> god oh yeah <laughs> and the thing is, is that the, AO, the, the AOS con is his backstory is appalling I mean the original con was a megalomaniac and he he was no picnic no I, it, but but the AOS con there's it's infuriating mm -hmm. 
Yeah, he needs all the therapy, him and his crew. All of the therapy. And what Marcus was going to do to them was disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. And so, you know, it's just like, there are so many elements in, 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 into the, in, in that movie that are just horrific. Nobody came off of that, that movie looking great. So it's like, it's a, it's a big stumbling block block. I would like to actually not ever even bring Khan up. I think Khan should continue to float in the Botany Bay and somebody maybe else could find him in Next Generation. <laughs> Picard can find him. Picard will know what the Botany Bay is. and He would be like, nope, we're not opening up this shit. Put that out there back there and lock the door. <laughs> Now, wait a second. Um, looking at it from, okay, so, you know, are we looking at history here and, and you know, finding this, this shining example of humanity's horrificness? And that's, you know, they may see the, the evidence of the Botany Bay having been out there and somebody, you know, somebody smart traces the route or what? They stumbled across the Botany Bay by accident. Well, yeah, the the original. No one series. was looking for it. No one knew where it was. I'm just wondering if that would be something that would be. I wouldn't want to. That that's the that's thing. A, I don't actually want Khan ever in Tangled Destinies because he's such a polarizing character um, in the original series. And then Agreed. what they did with him in um, in AOS is just like infuriating. And I don't want to put all that in there in my happy bonding. Amanda Grayson's love letter. <laughs> okay. You realize that for all the fact that you really, truly adore uh, Spock and uh, Jim in AO and your, your story there, Tangled Destiny, your unicorn is Amanda. I can't deny that. <laughs> and my second unicorn is Spock. <laughs> Pretty much. Because he's Amanda's baby. <laughs> but I will say that I wrote Tangled Destinies with the sole purpose of saving Amanda Grayson. Mm -hmm. So even if you, uh, Vulcan gets fucked up, not blown up, but just fucked up, she won't be there to deal with it. <laughs> It'll be like, nope. Works for me. <sighs> She'd be reading the news. That's unfortunate. <laughs> Actually, I'm pretty sure her reaction is going to be I'm wondering if her wig got got singed. <laughs> I hope they didn't hit the house. <laughs> yeah, I'm just being an asshole. Amanda has a great deal of compassion. She would not be an asshole about it. For more than a couple seconds. Because she devoutly hates that Vulcan woman. Yeah, she's an asshole, though. Um Mm-hmm. Anyways, so I hope that you guys found this beneficial. Um, and I'm out of tea, and this is a terrible situation over here. And um, that you have um a great Sunday and you are continuing to socially isolate, give yourself six feet, 12 feet in some cases. You know, you, you know what to look for. You yes. know what to look for. And if you're a dude, stop man spreading. Oh, we don't have time for manspreading right now. We we never actually did, but now you need to mind your space and stay in your personal space and out of our bubble. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. 
play the podcast for, you know, something to keep yourself out of trouble, entertain yourself. There's hours of content to sit there and listen to. Yeah, several. I mean, like over a thousand hours, actually. Um, Aren't you just enthusiastic? <laughs> you helped. I know. <laughs> Thinking about that recently. It's like, oh, my God. Say good night, Lady Holder. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>